The first temptation is to say that tradition has abandoned WrestleMania. That this grand spectacle, this enticing blend of celebrity and athleticism, has been taken hostage by a new generation of rogues. The baddest man on the planet, the toughest SOB, the reigning champion and number one degenerate. These are men determined to write their own destiny. To hell with historians who will pen their tale. But tradition is indeed alive and well. Because after all, despite the brash bravado, it's the allure of World Wrestling Federation gold that has brought these men here tonight. The very belt that has immortalized Andre, Hulk, and San Martino. The symbol of excellence that has inspired Gorilla Monsoon, the big cat Ernie Ladd, classy Freddie Blassie. A lineage created by Vincent J. McMahon some 50 years ago. So tonight, through sacrifice and pain, through breathtaking displays of athleticism that define mortal boundaries, these men that shun tradition are destined to become part of it. It's WrestleMania, the grandest of spectacles, the showcase of the immortals. A time to revel in the occasion. And somewhere beyond the spotlights, the father of the World Wrestling Federation will revel in it too. And now, WrestleMania. Hello again and welcome to another episode, episode 100. Happy 100 episodes, Patrick. Yes, happy 100th episode anniversary, I would say. We've reached the century mark. We have. We're getting old. You can listen to one episode a year for 100 years. Or you can just listen to one episode every week like we would ask you to do. Right, and yeah. so you'll be done in uh, two years. Yeah. Just about the time that we've... We've done this. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. We have entered the middle of December. It is very cold outside. Oh man, it is. The weather is awful. A lot of places around the country are covered in snow. We we got a lot of cold rain. Yes. Which is about the worst possible thing you can get. Just really cold. It's not even like sleet rain. It's just like ice cold rain. Yeah, it's not refreshing no. at all. It's been dreadful and the uh the weather's dreadful the wwe product is mainly dreadful raw did the lowest number of the modern era on monday see and they it was we were saying that two weeks ago and it's still getting worse yeah and i don't see it improving anytime soon well you know wrestling has its peaks and valleys okay vince no i'm serious it's i mean it's a proven fact we're in we're heading into a very very low valley and a valley that i don't think wrestling's been in in 30 years maybe not a valley that the company has been in, in i'm just long. thinking the sport in general though the wrestling industry in general is actually doing pretty well i mean the stock price of the wwe is still around 70 something dollars and right i mean it was up to 90 something dollars a couple months ago but even 70 something dollars is still a pretty good number right and a healthy number. You've got, you know, the Elite about to start their own thing, possibly. And you've got Ring of Honor going to have a, a show at the Garden with New Japan during WrestleMania weekend. And then, of course, Wrestle Kingdom is right around the corner. The Rumble's right around the corner. Dude, Wrestle Kingdom is going to be an absolute great show. Well, I don't think you have to go out on a limb to say that. A I mean, they usually are. Access TV is going to carry it. 
And it's going to be at 8 o'clock. Excalibur and Kevin Kelly are calling that show. Jim Ross's contract is is up, I think. And it's his contract with the WWE is coming to an end soon as well. So he could possibly hook up with Cody Rhodes and those guys and be their play-by-play guy. That would possibly. be brilliant. He's the voice. So. Oh, man, he's the greatest of all time. Now, what has happened this week in the world of professional wrestling? Well, we lost two legends. One of which is a true icon in my book, and Larry the Axe Henning, the father of Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. And the grandfather of Joe Hennig, better known as Curtis Axel. Yes. A third generation, I wouldn't say star, but he he is a wrestler. Larry the Axe Henning passed away at age 82. He was a star in Vern Gagne's AWA and made a team with Harley Race. And won the AWA Tag Team titles back in 1965. But Henning uh, got a devastating knee injury in 67. Larry the Axe Henning, mainly known for his work in the AWA, but also was on screen a lot in the WWE in the past few years in the crowd for Curtis Axel. And yeah. often featured in Legend segments. And His first match, speaking of Rowdy Roddy Piper, was against Larry the Axe Henning in the Winnipeg Arena. And it still stands to this day as the shortest match in history in that arena. I mean, it just, uh, that's cool to say, hey, I kicked off a true icon in, in Roddy Piper, his career. I mean, I had his first match. He started a family when he was 19, so he had Kurt Henning very, very young. Uh, Kurt Henning turned into one of the all-time greats. You know, helped helped train Kurt Hennig, of, of course. So mm-hmm. he dropped the axe, which was his, of course, full-weight elbow onto his prone opponents. That's why he's the axe, Hennig. That's why, if you've ever wondered about Curtis Axel's name, of course, Curtis for Kurt and Axel for Larry the Axe. So exactly. that's how he got his wrestling name. That is, that is true. Instead of just being Joe Hennig. Yeah. But he can always do that. I mean, even though he's now 40 years old, he's been in he's been in the company for a very long time now. I think at least 10 years. He was on those original NXT episodes. You can find him on the very first DVD Hall of Fame that they produced. When Kurt Henning went in the Hall of Fame, Curtis Axel was there to accept on behalf of Kurt and um, said then that he wasn't really going to get into wrestling. Joe's been with the company since 2007, if you trace it back to Florida Championship Wrestling. So, yeah, 11 years already. So, he's he's doing pretty good. Yeah, he's doing fine, but... For a contracted <laughs> talent. Yeah. He's not getting the push in which some of us would like to see, but... Sadly, he was the second pro wrestler to pass away this week was Larry the Axe Hennig at 82... The first was um, Tom Billington, the dynamite, the, the kid. dynamite kid. Who I I hate to say it, but I don't I don't think he'll be missed as bad as Larry Henning, because dynamite was where he was a he was true wrestling machine was a really bad person outside of the ring. Yeah, he has a very complicated story and a very very dark stuff in this guy's life and i know it sounds bad to say but it's amazing that he lived to be 60 years old right i mean him and benoit were so much alike and benoit who idolized dynamite yeah benoit's entire style i mean his first ring name pegasus kid i mean that was a direct right homage to tom billington 
And unfortunately, though, I think that and his highs as well as his lows in his career, Benoit, it just went hand in hand, I think. Yeah, it's kind of creepy in a way. Right, that, it really is. That he followed him in the darkness as well as the light as far as what he could do in the ring. He Benoit definitely took a lot of, he took the good and the bad from Dynamite Kid, unfortunately. Right. And for him, it went even darker than yeah. Dynamite Kid. Yeah, Dynamite Kid, very complicated legacy to unravel david bixenspan wrote a great article on deadspin about him and john pollock at post wrestling wrote a great article about him i learned more about dynamite behind the scenes that i never even really knew i mean unfortunately wwe being the giant conglomerate that it is that they do all this history stuff and they have the network and they have all this footage unfortunately you know he was the first person that they really kind of erased from more modern pro wrestling history. They, I mean, they. We talk about it all the time about the Legends Wing and how they neglect that black and white. Certain people, yeah, yeah. black and white footage wrestlers, and you know, people that are on the outs with the company. He's a more modern example of that, where he gets mentioned occasionally by like on the Hart Family DVD or or some of this stuff, but you know, no footage, you know, no. nothing. He was really the first prime example of somebody that was omitted from all this history that just keeps coming up because his connection to the Hart family and to Stampede and, you know, Davy Boy Smith and that connection there, it's hard to ignore that he didn't exist, but they've done a great job of doing it. Like, I thought he was dead years ago, Patrick. I did too. When he is mentioned, it's always in the past tense or like, oh, he had problems or whatever, and just go on to the next one. And it wasn't until... Years later that I realized, oh, this guy's still alive. I mean, right, having a tough go of things. And, like, he was in a wheelchair before he was 40 years old. And he yeah. lost a leg. And he had multiple run-ins with drug addiction and sickness and health problems. And uh, from just all the damage he accumulated. But if you were paying attention to just WWE documentaries, you would have no idea that this guy was even out there in the in the world he was part of the concussion lawsuit a lot of the people in that concussion lawsuit have passed away and he was one of them even before the concussion stuff i mean the damage he did with uh the overtaking of steroids is pretty legendary yeah, he was massive the dark side of him i don't want to discount his his in-ring abilities but he had a very dark side that i feel like we need to bring forth the dark side of him was he took pride in hurting people in the ring yeah, and I mean, he held a gun to his ex-wife's head in 1991. Yeah, and I mean, backstage fights between him and the Rougeau brothers are some of the most legendary stories you'll ever hear. Uh, Bret Hart has one that he tells that is is unbelievable. That is something that would go on for months on end before Vince had to step in. It's noted, though, that Vince was... You never want to be happy when someone gets fired, but Vince was actually really excited to have have Dynamite Kid gone and out of his hair and not be obligated to the company anymore, which is... uh, I mean, I'm just shocked by that. I can't... Well, he suffered a horrendous back injury in 1986... His back locked up in a match against Cowboy Bob Orton and Don Morocco, and he ended up having two herniated discs and nerve damage to his left leg and foot. Got back in the ring seven weeks later. I mean, this was a guy that 
shouldn't be wrestling anymore after that, and he continued to push it. He was tag champions with Davy Boy in the WWF, and when they dropped the belts, he was in no condition to wrestle, and it's a very famous tag belt change to the Hart Foundation. That's He refused to drop it to anybody else besides the Hart Foundation, so he was difficult to work with in Vince's eyes anyway. I mean, in right. addition to what he's doing to everyone else and his injury... He ended up, he couldn't wrestle this match, so he gets taken out at the very beginning and spends the whole match lying on the ground while Bulldog has to work it by himself. Right. And there is footage out there yeah, of it's, this match. Yeah, it's on YouTube, as a matter of fact. The British Bulldog's taking on the Hart Foundation, and he got $25 for that gig. That's all That's all TV used to pay in the day. When Raw started, when they did TV, they only got $25 for showing up. That's right. just nuts. And so that's what he got, and... They had no downside guarantee, so when you're hurt, you don't get paid. And so, unfortunately, yeah, he just kept going. And he he would tear up Jacques Rougeau's shit in the locker room. Then one time, uh, the, the story goes that Kurt Henning ended up actually fucking with Jacques Rougeau's ring gear, but blamed Dynamite Kid, and then they got into a big fight. Yeah, so, and that, that got Davey Boy and him fired, basically. Uh, they were done in 1988, and then Davy Boy went out and trademarked the name British Bulldog. So that really made Dynamite Kid mad, and he re-signed with the company. So he lost his tag team partner, his best friend, right, and his family member because he was uh, married to a relative of the Hart family, Bret Hart's first wife's sister. So he was actually part of the Hart family and so right. by extension British Bulldog is part of your family and now you're not even talking to your own partner now you're on the outs with your own partner yeah I mean two herniated discs and nerve damage in your back you and me privately have discussed my medical problems just in the past few months and I, I'm facing the exact same thing but I'm toughing through it but I've also took time to heal and rehab and I'm back into it now and I'm fine I let it all get better I'm just shocked that he kept pushing through and doing what he did. I mean, to to push your body to that extreme is just night in and night out. It's just unheard of and extremely painful. You know, dropping dropping headbutts are just ridiculous. Well, everybody that's pretty much famous for using them is now deceased. Well, and, and Harley, you know, unfortunately is in a wheelchair, and he blames a lot of that from his second his second rope headbutt drops. It just makes me think of how bad he truly was hurting physically just from the years of doing that. Because like you said, um, like we discussed with uh, Chris Benoit, Benoit, a lot of that went to do with concussions and all that with what went down with him. That it makes me wonder, you know, if that if that's not what was going on with Dynamite. He was a very talented in-ring performer. And, I mean, he really blew up for his feud against tiger mask in japan and that's really what he'll be remembered for mostly is is that feud but then during his wwf time i mean he in his book that came out in 1999 he said he was injecting six cc's of steroids daily i mean that is that's a lot his frame he was a 180 pound man but he took enough steroids where he ballooned to 225 he was a short man too. I mean, he was what five, 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 six. I mean, his build height was only five foot eight. So, I mean, it's sad to see him go. And it's like I mentioned, you know, you never want to see anyone die. Unfortunately, wrestling fans are going to miss him. But a lot of in ring talent, I would say, 
it's just an odd. It's not really a Well, man. yeah, I mean, he... It's not like we think about him on a daily basis. We're sorry he's gone. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, he basically gave up on his own family. I mean, he got into the domestic situation with his wife and in his book talks about leaving all the money on the table and just going back to England. Yeah. And he never came back. I mean, yeah. talks about ending with $20 yeah. in his pocket. After all that, after all that, you you broke even because he started, he said he started with $20. Yeah. And it was so fast because his feud with Tiger Mask was in 82. I mean, he was done as a full-time performer before the 90s, really. Him yeah, and Bulldog was... were gone from so in 88. Oh, yeah. So that is, I mean, live hard and die young. Well, he lived hard. He didn't die that young, really, but... He had a very short career. But, I mean, made a name for himself in that short period of time that, you know, I love... Oh, he was he I, was wrestling ahead of his time. I love his in-ring work. Dynamite is, is a ring technician that is ahead above the rest at, at certain points and times in his career. I love his in-ring work. I don't condone him purposely hurting people. Uh, nobody should want to do that. Yeah, in the in the John Pollock article, Bret Hart once compared Dynamite to baseball legend Ty Cobb, a miserable and reprehensible human being, but was also one of the greatest baseball players of all time. So. Yeah, his his abilities inside the the ring were outstanding, and stuff legends are made of. Outside of the ring, he was a horrible person. And I mean that to the core. Yeah, he, he was, was just he was a horrible person. But he would own up to it. I mean, he was self-aware. I yeah, mean, he knew what he was doing, and he didn't care. He that's that's the sickening part about it is he would he would hurt people in the ring, and then be proud of it. Would actually brag about it. That's not that's not okay. You know, that's just that's not cool. I mean, the whole goal of a good pro wrestling match is that no one gets hurt and that you take care of one another. Your coworkers, you're, yeah, you're dealing with someone's life in the ring. I mean, people yeah. have died in the ring, so yeah. Uh, yeah, just not a good example to set for future pro wrestlers, but at least they have the example. At least they can see people usually that, that damage their body so much in pro wrestling, they die, you know, very young. Very they young. die in their thirties yeah. or forties. Yeah. I mean, other wrestlers are like, Oh, that's sad, but they don't get to see the deterioration. They don't get to see the horror lived out. It's almost more sad that he lived in the state that he was in than if he just dropped dead. Of a heart attack, and I thought he was had already passed, and came across a England news channel that had did a a story on him back in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, something like that. And at that point in time, it even said like, "Here's this legendary wrestler confined to a wheelchair, living in government housing in in the, the country. He hit rock bottom." The darkness, he was actually living in darkness, basically. Yeah. I mean, in a dark yeah, government housing apartment somewhere in the country. You know? Yeah. Was, in some way, it's it's good that wrestlers see an example like that. Well, and you never saw... I mean, he never went to Comic-Cons. He never went to... Oh, no. To, he didn't leave the country ever again. No. He never went and tried to promote himself and do autograph signings or anything like that. When he was done with wrestling, he was pretty much done. He walked away, and that was it. He didn't walk away. Right, yeah. Basically crawled away. I mean, you never want to see anybody die, but a a very complicated individual that not everyone is going to be 
heartbroken over seeing unfortunately pass. I hate right. I hate to make that statement. No, I mean no, it's 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 sort of like, you know, it's kind of as much as we celebrate Eddie Guerrero. I mean, this man, I mean, and for the most part, you know, not a lot of horror stories about Eddie Guerrero. I mean, he right. was sort of locker room bully and stuff, but I mean, he died he died really young. And he, and, and he blew up too, He man. put on the mass and he him and Benoit both. I mean, he even before he died when he had the DVD and stuff. I mean, he had his own personal struggles or whatever. Drugs. But he's glorified as a hero. Because, you know why? Because he dropped... He just dropped dead at the right time. If... You know, what would it have been like if if Benoit and Eddie and Test and all these... You know, all other wrestlers that died young. What if we got to see them, you know, years... As the years go on? Where the drugs and and the... The steroid abuse and all that. Took it catches toll. up to yeah. him. Because I mean, then we wouldn't be celebrating. No, them. that's like Luger. Right, Luger, exactly. Luger will specifically look you square in the eye and tell you, man, yeah, I used it, but I shouldn't have. Like, he, at one point in time, was he was confined to a wheelchair. Now he's up and being able to walk around. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, but... It just goes to show you, like, he's... And he's not the rotten person like Dynamite was, but... But he's also not thought... He's not memorialized as this hero... To right. pro wrestling fans, because he didn't just have the rock star just drop dead. Right. I hate to say it like that, but I, it's just weird that we just gloss over the fact that Eddie died at like forty something years old. Eddie died at thirty eight. Yeah. I mean, that is the time. The roles would have been different if Dynamite had dropped dead in like ninety two or ninety three. If he dropped dead in like eighty eight, as soon as he was fired, legend. Yeah. Pop, first wing Hall of Famer. We'll forget all this other stuff, but yeah. Oh, because you got to see the deterioration. You got to see like he joined the concussion lawsuit, and he was very vocal. Like after Benoit died, was one of those guys that they would go and interview, and because he did all that stuff, and you saw the deplorable living conditions or whatever. Oh no, we can't have that. You know, we can't have yeah. that. We can't portray that to you. If he had done a DVD for them, that probably would have been one of the most impactful. Things. Oh my God! Yes, to see had had WWE had they had their production value and everything into yeah. his story. Yeah, it's the same way with like the Von Erichs. We sit around and the, memorialize the, the Von Erichs and the Jake Snake Roberts DVD that they did, where it shows and he he openly talks about his drug problems. Like that was a dark, dark DVD for WWE to do at the time. Yeah, it was dark when they did Scott Hall's DVD a couple years ago, and he talks about killing that guy as a yeah, bouncer. Yeah, They determined that was fine to send out there. But, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. If they had actually sat down and did, like, a Bulldogs DVD or something and and really put the spotlight on Dynamite and showed him, you know, it, it could have made people aware. Well, and that's the best part, which I'm, there's hard to find a, a silver lining in this, but... It's a good. It's a good thing that you're showing. If you do see this now in the you know, media age, kids are going to see it. Uh, that that young talent that breaks into wrestling and all that, that they realize that sometimes those shortcuts or that doing those kinds of things, either a you you unfortunately do pass away at a young age, or b you live this horrible rest of your life like Dynamite did. If you want to get you know, muscle mass, do it the old way. Go into the gym, start working out harder, and stay away from the drugs and all that, which you don't really see that much anymore nowadays. But It's cleaned up a lot, but it's still it, not a totally clean. No, in indie not. wrestling, man, it's still... It'll never... I mean, every. I think every sport suffers from it. I mean, nothing yeah. will ever be, because we're humans. And right. 
we're going to continue to make the same mistakes. But right. yeah, uh, yeah, died on his birthday, 60 years old. Uh, terrible stuff. Terrible. Yeah, I agree. Right after we had got done last week recording, it came out just the very next day, the eight cities that are getting XFL teams. Oh, man. I know, I, I know you're pumped. I'm pumped because I figure, you know, they tried it before, and so they're not going to do anything crazy and, like, rent out big stadiums or anything. I figure they're going to do smaller stadiums. You know, they know their limits. Yeah. And so they're going to be in smaller towns. We're going to build this thing brick by brick. Yeah, Butch Jones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We, Yeah, I expected to see cities like, I don't know, like Des Moines or like... Chattanooga. Yeah, smaller towns. Birmingham. Maybe, maybe in Asheville, North Carolina. Maybe just in between towns, you know? Yeah. Towns that... San Francisco. A little too big, I well, think. I mean... Can't afford the rent there. Too much rent. Not L.A., at least. Oh, yeah. Um, Seattle, Washington. Yeah, it turns out uh, they did all that, Patrick. They went to all those cities that you think are too big. They went They went there, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they did. Uh, yeah, we're going to be playing at MetLife Stadium. Yeah, they have uh, the following eight cities. Uh, New York, New Jersey. MetLife Stadium is actually New Jersey. Seats 82,500 people. Yes. To see an XFL game. Yes. I don't think they're going to get anywhere close to that. Me and you talked about it, and I agree 100%. It's got to be first come, first serve to get people down close to the the field to make it look full camera-wise. Because you brought up the great point. If it doesn't look good on TV, I don't give a damn whether it's a good product or not. It's not going to sell for future seasons. Yeah, if you take a wide shot of the stadium and I see that no one's there and that they're not making any noise and that it's just like hearing, you won't hear anything because it's a football, Friday night. It's a Friday night. If high you can hear, game. yeah, if you can hear like football, you know, if you if you can hear them like tackling each other and stuff, and it's just silence. It, yeah, it's not going to be a product I want to stick around for. And that's the whole idea behind this XFL is to get TV rights because with Netflix and with. The WWE Network, all these streaming services, no one watches live TV. But the one thing they will watch, live sports, including pro wrestling. That's why Raw got so much money and SmackDown got so much money right. from their broadcast deals. So Vince thought, oh, well, this is the time to strike because now TV stations need that live content. So they want, they'll pay for the XFL. But if it doesn't look good on TV, then you're going to just, you're going to get shit canned. You're going to get canceled. Right. Exactly. So I just think it's crazy, and I don't know the availability of like football stadiums in New York City. I imagine it's pretty sparse, because it's a big city. They don't build a lot of stadiums. Right. But to book MetLife Stadium, to have a team with 82,500 it's just mind-boggling to me. Oh, I agree. When they could have gone even up to Buffalo, even if the Buffalo Stadium's like 60,000 seats... Well, at least it's not 80,000. Yeah. Uh, so the eight cities they chose, New York, Dallas, which they're not going to AT&T Stadium, luckily. No 100,000 seater. Thank God there. Uh, they're going to Globe Life Park, which holds 52,000. Uh, they're going to Houston. They're not doing Reliance Stadium, luckily. They're going to uh, the University Stadium. That holds 40,000. Now, in Los Angeles, they're going to the StubHub Center, which is where the Rams currently play. That only holds 27,000, so that... That's a that's more okay. realistic... Yeah. Then they're going to St. Louis in the Dome, which has no 
tenant. So in that case, I understand you're taking the biggest venue because there's no one playing in it. So you're doing the city a favor. If I've got a big vacant dome, I'll rent it to whatever. And you can make... I understand if that looks sort of empty, but it's the best facility available in the town. That seats 67,000 people. Then they're going to Seattle. They're going to play at CenturyLink Field where the Seahawks play. That's 72,000 people. And then Tampa Bay, Florida, they're going to Raymond James where the Bucks play. That's 66,000 people. But then, the winner. This is... So they're going to go to Washington, D.C. I am really shocked that they didn't go to FedEx Field, which is where the Redskins play. That's in Northern Virginia. It's not technically in D.C. There's hardly any stadiums in D.C. proper. Dan Snyder, who owns the Redskins, is sort of like a Vince McMahon type. They would get along great. I don't know why he didn't go there, because if you're doing 83000 in New York, why not? Why not? To hell why not? So they got Audi Field, which only seats 20,000 people. That's where the soccer team plays. That is actually smaller than Finley Stadium in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Shit. So, only by like a few hundred seats, but... Still. Yeah, and it's a very new stadium, so it's got all the the fun stuff. But. Well, that's the thing. There, though, it's an actual... I can realize, believe, too truly that it's going to be a great place to do an, an XFL team, or XFL game. Just like that here. That seems like the venue, a 20,000-seater. Yeah, like here... At you know, if they did one here in Chattanooga, that would be the place to do it. Is is at Finley Stadium, uh, or to go up, you know, like you said, some of the other twenty thousand seaters to go into a sixty or an eighty thousand seat. Yeah, they could have just gone to the basketball stadium. Yeah, and, uh, in all these cities, and hell, he could have done the the McKenzie Arena here in town. That's only like 10,000 seats, but yeah. that would look... It'd I look th- great. Well, yeah, because I think you're going to get... I just don't... The demand, I think, for tickets... I think in a 20,000-seat arena, you're going to get... And because it's Washington, I think you're going to get 5,000 people max. Yeah. That's max. Yeah. So when you go to New York, yeah, it's a bigger city. So say you get 10,000 people. I don't think you'll get 10,000 people. I really think... Your biggest crowd is going to be St. Louis, because they that's a major city... But they have nothing else. Yeah, they don't have a they don't have a pro football team, and right. so you're the only game in town. So and you, you'll cash in there, but everywhere else, I don't think you'll do very well. Yeah, and I just think it'll look really bad on TV, and it'll sound really bad. Because San Antonio, what? I'll just make the drive and go to fucking Cowboy Stadium for a game and see the Cowboys. Well, yeah, they totally neglected the Southern market. Entirely. Oh, we yeah. Skipped entirely over that, which knowing Vince McMahon, like I believe, I think I know a lot of his traits and stuff, doesn't really surprise me because he hates the South. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't like Southern wrestling, and so he sure as hell doesn't like Southern football. And he takes offense to what WCW and Ted Turner did here, and I, he holds that grudge. I truly believe that he did bring WrestleMania twenty seven here. So, but I, st- I, I think that was because of. He saw green and and money always. Money will put anything to aside to Vince McMahon. But when it comes to personal things, I, I do see Vince holding a grudge in that aspect. So they're going to start in 2020, but their rival league, which isn't the NFL, their rival league is the Alliance of American Football, which is run by Charlie Ebersol, which is Dick Ebersol's son, which... 
coincidentally made the XFL documentary. Which I didn't know that till you told me. So he started his own league as well. So we have these two. He truly was. And so, and even in the D, the XFL DVD, Dick Ebersol says that he believes it's still a good idea. Well, yeah, the whole thing at the end is everybody saying, oh, we should try it again, probably. And that Vince believes that had they had a second season, had they just followed through and didn't give up, they could have come back and made it something, you know, historical and great. That they just had to have the first season to work out the kinks. So the XFL starts play in 2020. Meanwhile, the Alliance of American Football's season starts the week after the Super Bowl. They've already got a TV deal with CBS Sports. They're putting teams in those old XFL cities like Atlanta, Birmingham, Orlando, Memphis, Arizona. Then they go to Salt Lake City. San Antonio and San Diego. So they picked out the more the markets that I thought the XFL would be picking out. The better markets that the smaller markets that will have more regional support and they have their TV deal with CBS Sports which is showing the Super Bowl which I don't know how much advertising they'll do for this Alliance of American Football but I'm sure CBS has is forcing them to do something though. Yeah, so I'm still skeptical that the XFL will ever see the field i mean vince took out more money for it so i i'm I'm pretty sure it's gonna happen i mean they've got all these stadium deals i mean you got to deal with an eighty thousand seat stadium so i assume that you're gonna see the field but i don't know what the demand is out there for it i don't know what kind of tv deals out there for it especially with raw doing so poorly in the ratings it's like what have you done for me lately vince we'll we'll just have to see but i think the alliance of american football had the better strategy as far as the cities that it picked to go into. Yeah, I'm wondering if uh, if this could be another XFL documentary and we're one season and fail. As bad as I wanted this to succeed. I mean, I had been preaching forever that I wanted the XFL back. but Oh, you wanted to get some of that sweet XFL merch. Well, yeah, absolutely. But the um, I don't think it's going to be the original either anyway. Oh, no, it's not. And I mentioned to you they're already doing weird stuff with the extra point and trying to make it right you don't kick it anymore you do this and that so it actually might be sort of like the original xfl and they try to mess with the the rules and the structure of the game i mean he's already said the game's going to be shorter a typical football game's three hours so i imagine he'll try to get it to two so you're already changing some aspects of the game so it might be more like the original than we thought it would be Right. But as far as... The no-rules football. No-rules football and grungy and uh, stripping cheerleaders. I don't think you're going to see that this go-around. I don't think you're going to see The Rock on the field introducing the first game. Well, I'd be okay with not seeing The Rock on the field, but the original was something classic. That oh, yeah, classic. I think so, personally. Moving forward, does anybody know who Justin Credible is? PJ Polacco. Do you know Justin Credible? Or do you know him better as Juan? Juan Pablo Montoya? Juan Pablo Montoya. Um, I think they know him as Just Incredible. Just Incredible. He was, in ECW, he was able to become himself. Make a name, or, yeah. yeah. Great, great athlete. I've always thought highly of him and his work ethic. Unfortunately, is hitting hard times himself. He was recently arrested. This is Yeah, his- we... Third arrest since August, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, third arrest this year. Uh, we talked earlier about Dynamite Kid and his struggles. PJ Polacco, not as dark of uh, struggles. Mainly struggles with addiction. Yeah. 
but also has some issues with his family, and apparently they all have restraining orders and stuff against him, so... But yeah, he still lives with them. It's so weird. It's so weird. From Based on what I've read here, so he was arrested for the third time this year. Uh, he was charged with misdemeanor assault, breach of peace, which is like disturbing the peace. It's just okay. a vague misdemeanor that they throw on to people. Criminal mischief, multiple charges of violating a protection order. Uh, before he got arrested, a week before, he gave an interview to Wrestling Inc. And he says, anybody with addiction knows that no one is safe. I'm not saying that we're clear of the bad stuff. I'm clear today. I've been clear the past couple of weeks. But who's to say something may happen next week? Well, he called that, didn't he? Next month and or next year. It's really a work in progress. It's been an amazing process. But a great opportunity to really show people what it's like to deal with substance abuse and the unique business of pro wrestling. It very much humanizes what we do. I'm moving in a positive direction. Everyone usually asks me, how much do you have in the amount of time since I had my last drink? But he says he hasn't done drugs in a long time. The problem now is alcohol. It's real easy to go to a liquor store and buy a pint of vodka for four bucks. So that's my biggest thing. I'm doing great today. I've been doing great the past couple of weeks, but every day is a struggle. So yeah, just incredible. What is he looking at? Do you in just a general assessment here? Like I said, his third since his third arrest since August. Do you think he's going to no, I, I, end of the system, or is he going to actually get probation again? Or? With all these being misdemeanors, I don't expect him to to do any jail time. I mean, especially if it's interfamily. I don't know the circumstances of. Right. This latest arrest, but they're not going to want him in jail. They might try to get him into, like... Rehab facility yeah, or something. Some, some kind I know of... he had checked himself into the uh, WWE's promoted rehab facility, but unfortunately, he just checked himself right back out. Yeah, he... Uh, after a short stay, so I don't... He's been tweeting out really strange things, and he's part of a documentary uh, called Credible, which he's... He was promoting when he did this interview, and some of the footage from that, they've released trailers and stuff, it's really him struggling, so I'm not sure, I just, you know, I hope he gets the help that he needs, but I think unfortunately he's one of those guys that when he made it to the WWE, they just weren't going to give him a chance because of how he looks, and Vince's idea of what a pro wrestler should look like, and the, the time that he got there was an era of big bodies and big people. And I think if he'd come along today in 2018, hot off the indie circuit or a smaller promotion, he would fit right in. Oh, he'd fly. Yeah, he'd soar. Because the thing is... We've seen it with guys like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn where not everybody looks like the prototypical WWE superstar. Well, the primetime players with him and Lance Storm I thought was an, an outstanding great group. And the talent that rolled in with them and so um well neither one of those guys really got a fair shake in the wwe right didn't get the credit they deserved but hey man we wish him well you know i like just incredible so i i really do hope he gets he gets through this pretty quickly and and gets straightened out yeah so for this week i want to do something big man yeah i want to do something big it's our hundredth episode yeah there's nothing bigger than WrestleMania. And you wanted to pick what some people consider to be the crowning of the Attitude Era. Exactly. 
dawning of a new day with Stone Cold Steve Austin as your champion. So you picked WrestleMania 14. And nothing bigger starts off with a 15-man or 15-tag team battle royal. That That's as big as it gets right there. That's an entire Royal Rumble in one, one ring. One ring at one time. We go back to March 29th, 1998. The Fleet Center in Boston. See, they could have played an XFL game there. In front of 19,028 people, the greatest pay-per-view attraction of all time, DX Rated, which I never really understood that little branding. I don't know. They DX really they got, rated. They got behind the, the DX thing, and so... Well, the D was really small, and it said X, and then rated was misspelled, so it wasn't X-rated. I thought yeah. it was X-rated, and I thought maybe we were going to get something with Sable that was going to be just amazing <laughs> uh, for a 12-year-old uh, like myself. Maybe more like China. Maybe, yeah, that's yeah. what ended up happening. Or, or Sunny, but actually Sunny, realistically, here. So at the, it was the, DX rated, even though there's only two guys in DX. That's right. And China, so. Three and people. she wasn't a wrestler. She was just a manager still. So I don't really know how this was like a DX takeover, exactly. Well, I mean, they did. They had their band. <laughs> right. Their, their band did somewhat own the... Uh, pay-per-view yes right there at the entryway this wrestlemania brought to you by m&m's the candy of the new millennium that's right because they're mm 2000 two millennia millennia well first we get the wrestlemania highlight video which shows us classic wrestlemania celebrities and then Shawn michaels mike tyson and stone cold steve austin really i think they just wanted to show us mike tyson because oh fuck dude austin was secondary in this Let's get the build thing to it. Monday Night Wars is really hot and heavy. Vince is getting ready to pull into WrestleMania. Vince needs something to really get the fire rolling back in his favor. What does he do? He fucking hires Mike Tyson to come and be a part of WrestleMania. Now, we're just right off the hills of Mike Tyson and Holyfield in the ear getting bit off, right? That's correct, yes. That so, happened in June of 97. So Tyson, at this point in time, he is all over the place media-wise. That's getting other sports people on your product. That's getting news channels on a nightly basis talking about your product. And then He got you on ESPN. The very first time he steps into a ring, and then you have your hottest guy walk out there, get right in his face and flip a double bird and all hell break loose, that shit was on every, I mean, Entertainment Tonight picked it up, every single ESPN broadcast, Sports Center, I mean, every single media outlet of the 90s was carrying that footage right there. It was really about Mike Tyson, not about it was. Austin or Michaels. They were secondary to the, the real star. Andre, Hulk Hogan... Sam Martino, Gorilla Monsoon, Ernie Ladd, and Freddie Blassie shout-outs as well here in this WrestleMania opening montage. Odd that they put Hulk in it. I guess that was to make him look old, I guess? to say. I would say so. After they did the whole Huckster thing, they didn't really talk about Hulk anymore. Yeah. He disappeared for a while, as he tends to do in their history. These men that shun tradition, these outlaws, Austin and Michaels and Tyson, they will become part of it. Right. And somewhere. And I thought this closing tagline to this 
intro was kind of weird. Somewhere beyond the spotlight, the father of the World Wrestling Federation will revel in it too. Were they talking about Vincent? See, I interpreted it as they were talking about Vincent Kennedy, not Vincent J, the original No, Vince Sr. I think what he was getting at is the fact that a company that his father had built now is getting, it's become mainstream media bound with Tyson and with other celebrities involved. Well, the product felt hotter than it, it had in a few years. That it was, it was right on top with, with everything else. And, and obviously Vince, Vincent J, you know, he didn't get to see any of this. So. Right. He, he was not there. And so Vince senior. And so he, um, they put in a little tribute. Yeah. I just, I didn't know which Vince they were talking about. Cause to me, I thought, well, they just mean, Vince McMahon is backstage watching the show. Oh, he's I, proud, yeah. He is proud. And and he has every right to be in Syracuse. Well, it's odd that he stuff. wasn't actually on this show as the villainous Mr. McMahon. Because I, if I was to rebook, I would alter the main event slightly to get... Really? To make the Mike Tyson thing make a little sense. Because it didn't make any sense. How would you... Re- I'm just curious now. Well, when we get there, I'll talk about it. But I'm surprised, yeah, Mr. McMahon didn't make an entrance tonight so the old wrestlemania song from the early 90s plays wrestlemania yeah the rap well the instrumental version they never play the rap version jr welcomes us to the 14th edition of wrestlemania a 15 tag team battle royal will kick things off now sadly on this network version patrick we were robbed of the national anthem played by the dx band which is on youtube i'm curious now i've never seen this i might include it i hope you will because i've never seen this or heard it but it's rare that they ever cut patriotic shit out of any of this stuff right but this was so bad they were like it got booed it got booed really yeah it got booed really so i guess they didn't want that because see until you were telling me about it i never knew it existed so chris warren and jim johnston decided you know we're the band tonight so let's play the national anthem but that's let's do it our way the dx band way and so chris warren basically was like i don't know it's a it's bad at least we didn't have to skip past it but This is WrestleMania 14. It was really bad. It makes you feel un-American when you skip over the national anthem. Yeah, but this one made me feel more American that <laughs> we skipped was, over it. This one you were proud that it wasn't in there. The Rockets Red Glare! <laughs> it was shit like that. <laughs> please, please insert it. <laughs> JR mentions that 14 of the teams have already been introduced. So right. we don't have to watch all those intros. Thank which God. is good. The only intros we see is uh, the Nation of Domination. Half of them are walking out. And then out of nowhere, one of the loudest pops of the night for none other than the returning LOD. But yet it's LOD 2000. That's what it would be known as in the future. But JR never said LOD 2000. They never said that. It's the Road Warriors. Yeah, the Road Warriors are out. They had been off TV for a while after getting embarrassed by the New Age Outlaw. Yeah, the New Age Outlaws had shaved their head and just embarrassed these guys. Yeah. So they kept them off TV. They came back out 
with Helmets, and they had a new song. It still started off the same way with What a Rush. They had Sonny as their manager. They had new tights. Animal wore shorts now. There was new airbrush elbow pads, new face paint designs, new haircuts, and best of all, they had helmets, which they didn't wrestle in, which... You were and, wanting them to. Well, now their shoulder pads had less spikes on them, so I'm yeah. like, okay, guys, let's wrestle in this shit now. Yeah, but the helmets only lasted like a week or two. Because That's right, because Hawk Hawk got one. pissed off, and he just threw it out there into the fans. Yeah, he like chucked the helmet or lost it. The sto- I forget what the story was exactly, but yeah, they the helmet, which I loved. I loved the helmets. I, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I was like a, I was like a fan of Power Rangers, and they wore helmets, so right. full headed helmets, and. I liked it, but what and the, do I the, know? the airbrush paint on it. If though, you notice anybody with these helmets, like Kane when he came back with like a metal helmet like that, the welder's helmet or whatever. Yeah, yeah and currently like authors of pain, they used to walk out in that shit. And that just goes away. It all goes away after a couple weeks. No one yeah. sticks with it. Right. And like even AJ, like he wore a gas mask in Japan as part of the Bullet Club, which unfortunately they gave to Dean Ambrose this week as. He turned into Bane from Batman, but he he used to walk out in that. They never do any. They no one has that accessory anymore, like yeah. a, a full covering mask that they just discard. Uh, so we get massive LOD chance to see the Road Warriors, the bell rings, and the brawling starts. As too many people in the fucking ring, Patrick, to do any spots or any. Oh moves. yeah, you can't you can't move. So I'm just gonna hit you. And we're just going to hit each other. Who's your pick for this, by the way? What team do you think is going to win? Well, considering we saw all of two entrances, I guess I would have to narrow it down to the Nation or LOD. Because if you are going to win this, I'm sure you'd show me the intro to them. They would go. Oh, I'm going with the Rock and Roll Express. Based on their WWF run, I'm going to have to say I, I didn't. I wouldn't think that they were going to. I'm win. going with the Rock and Roll Express, baby. Well, I would take the new Midnight Express. Is what I would. They take. are in there. They, they are. are. Oh, we had a Who's That of. Uh, who are these people? Pro wrestlers. <laughs> Savio Vega and Miguel of the Los Bariquas are the first eliminated. Sniper and Recon were eliminated by Kurgan, who wasn't even in the match. He just came down to pull them out of the ring. That's fine. I hate that spot. I hate it in the yeah. Rumble, and I hate it here. Barry Windham, who wasn't in the match either, he comes down and throws Chains out. So that means Bradshaw is out as well. For some reason, Chains and Bradshaw was a team. Well, the, the new Blackjacks had been broken up. So Barry's still pissed about that, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he lost his tag partner, and so Bradshaw was like, Hey, Chains, you want to go for the tag titles? Yeah, sure, okay, come on. Jacques Rougeau, we mentioned him earlier, he gets eliminated with his tag team partner, PCO. Uh, the Quebecers got eliminated here. Then Ricky Morton, oh, sadly, your pick, gets eliminated. Damn. And so Robert Gibson leaves, and Rock and Roll Express is done. Bombastic Bob of the new Midnight Express throws the headbangers out. Scott Taylor is thrown out, so too much with uh, Brian Christopher is all done. You know, had he had another tag partner, Brian Christopher could have won this thing. I don't think so. (laughs) Mark Henry and D'Lo were eliminated somewhere along the line here. Then the final four teams are the new Midnight Express, DOA, the Godwins, and LOD 2000. Man, these 15 teams... Outside of a couple of them, it was like, oh man, this is all new generation era shit. Like, this is the remnants. Like, you see the old at the beginning of the pay-per-view and then the new at the end where it's like, oh, we've transitioned now to Austin. So this is like their last hurrah here, all these tag teams. 
The Godwins eliminate DOA, or A-Ball and Skull are eliminated by the Godwins. Then, DOA, A-Ball, and Skull eliminate the Godwins, even though they were eliminated. They just pull them out, too. Right. So now it's between O-Man, the new Midnight Express, and LOD. My heart was torn right in half, Patrick. The Godwins... Get their slop buckets. No slop in them. They no, were empty buckets. They were empty. They hit the LOD with them. Then they hit a double reverse elbow to Hawk and try to eliminate him. Hawk no-sells their offense, fights back. Animal eventually runs wild and power slams Bart. Then the LOD clothesline them over the ropes and win the match. And that is the finish of the Tag Team Battle Royal. Congratulations. The one team we saw get a proper introduction. Turns out they won the whole thing. Yep. Do you like Sonny's new outfit as well? You mentioned I did like Sonny a lot here. I was hyped for this uh, tandem when I was a kid because I loved Legion of Doom and I loved Sonny. I think I like Sonny more than Sable. I know that was the big debate, you know, amongst yeah. pro wrestling fans. Yeah, and it, even in the magazine, like they would have one cover with Sonny on it and one with Sable, so you'd had you had to make a choice. Which cover did you buy? I don't think I got that edition of the magazine, but I would have chosen Sonny had I gotten it. And so, I like this combination. Unfortunately, Sunny is really good on the microphone and didn't get to do a promo here, introduce them. She was great with the smoking guns as far as, like, and with the drop-down of her image and all this stuff, and was really talented for a non-wrestling performer for them. Yeah, it was nice to see her here, but I wish she had done more than just look pretty i mean they could have had anybody yeah they could have had just rotating managers i remember she only lasted a few months before she got the boot and then they brought in paul ellering who bailed on them immediately and joined doa and then all the stuff with draws and hawk falling off the titantron and the unraveling of lod was still to come but this moment at least gave you some hope that they're gonna do something with these guys yeah they didn't. And they didn't even hit a doomsday device. They didn't hit their finisher. They didn't do anything here to... Yeah, I kind of wish they would have hit that just to, I guess, win or, you know, hit it and then chuck the guy over or something, you know? Yeah. It's WrestleMania week here in Boston, so on Thursday, DX had a public workout where they got Stone Cold tied up in the ropes and Tyson and Sean rubbed his face and everything does the network have the the full dx workout video out it was in i thought it was at one point in time in the hidden gems i haven't looked for it but i mean if we get the entire yokozuna challenge against on the uss intrepid i mean then we should get the dx public workout yeah so then they sent austin to regis and kathy lee on friday they sent flash funk to the kids news channel which he didn't even make the car to WrestleMania, so he had nothing better to do. And Sable went to the Champions Restaurant. Forget Access, where you get a VIP autograph signing. You can just have dinner with them here in 98. I'd rather do that. Yeah, these guys were treated to... One-on-one with Sable. There you go. Or Sonny. It works, too. I bet it cost two grand. Now it's time for our light heavyweight title match. That's for 90s money. That's not even for... Good point. (laughs) Takamishinoku is out to take on Aguila which is Spanish for Eagle. He would later be known as S.A. Rios in the WWF, most famous for introducing us to Lita. Yeah. Is his most notable after Lita, uh, Speaking of another man who got outshined by by a woman. Oh yeah, we'll see that later on. Aguila hits a top turnbuckle acai moonsault to Taka out on the floor. Taka hits a running springboard plancha to Aguila out on the ring mats. 
Taka gets backdropped to the floor, but Taka recovers, gets arm dragged off the turnbuckle by Aguila, who follows it up with some springboard arm drags. Aguila hits a corkscrew suicide dive to Taka on the entryway. Then Taka misses a moonsault. Aguila hits one for a near fall instead. Then Taka tries a big splash but gets knees to the sternum. Aguila head scissors him off the turnbuckle. A missile drop kick, and Taka calls for the Mishinoku driver. Aguila tries a Hurricane Rana, but Taka counters with a sit-out powerbomb. Taka misses another moonsault. Then he counters an Aguila splash with a drop kick off the turnbuckle. He hits the Mishinoku driver and retains his light heavyweight belt here in, like, five minutes. It was... This match went all of five minutes and 57 seconds. You think it's a good match. I think it's fine, but it just felt like, okay, Taka, you do a move off the top turnbuckle. It was turnbuckle. very rushed, yeah. I'll do a move off the top turnbuckle. Yeah. The match doesn't have any heat behind it because no one knows who Aguila is. They know who Taka is because they promoted him fairly well when they restarted their light heavyweight title. And they really wanted to see the Taka Mishinoku driver. They wanted to see that. And he calls for it, and then he doesn't hit it. And then when he does hit it, there's no pop because it comes basically just as a transitional move. Out of nowhere, yeah. But they, yeah, he he didn't get them hyped for it, and so the match just ends. Yeah. I think this could have been great had it had some time and had they done some sort of story that you would have known what is this, what is this Aguila guy. At this point in time, I think the dream match was Taka and Rey Mysterio. I mean, that's, that's what everybody, if I can remember, was wanting to see happen. That would have been interesting. It was nice that WWF tried to get into the cruiserweight business, but... As we've seen even today with 205 Live, they just don't know. They don't know how to do it. They don't know what they're doing. More wrestlers wrestle like cruiserweights now, so there's not a big difference in style between Seth Rollins and Cedric Alexander. They do pretty much the same stuff. After this match, they do the respect spot. Hold your hands up. Shake hands. Hug. It's just everyone's friends here. All Yula needs to turn on him. Kick him right in the balls. He did, yeah. We go backstage. Jennifer Flowers, one of... Bill Clinton's mistresses is with The Rock. Hey, Rock, how would you run things if you were leader of the country? He wants to be called the ruler. He doesn't give a damn about homeless pieces of trash. As long as The Rock's fans realize he's judge and jury, things will be just fine. He'd be a hung jury if he was a jury. And as long as interns do nothing orally wrong, oh, oh, excuse me, morally wrong, it'd be great. See, you really need to put that entire interview in here right now. I'm here with the Intercontinental Champion. Actually, the- whoa. Actually, Jenny, it's the People's Intercontinental Champ. <laughs> Excuse me. The People's Intercontinental Champion, The Rock. Now, Rock, yeah. the people want to know if you were the leader of this country, how would you run things? Well, actually, Jenny, The Rock feels like this. First and foremost, the term leader is really beneath The Rock. The Rock feels like this. A more appropriate term would be ruler. Ruler. (laughs) Okay, then, if if you were the ruler, how would you handle the homeless situation? Tell you what, Jenny, that is a touchy subject to The Rock, the homeless situation here in America. The Rock feels like this. As long as The Rock still has his palatial palace down on South Beach in Miami, Florida, he really couldn't give a damn whether or not they live in a frigid air box or a Kenmore box. As long as those homeless pieces of trash keep their cardboard homes off The Rock's freshly mowed grass, everything will be copacetic. All right, then, um, how about the judicial system? Well, first and foremost, as long as all The Rock's fans across the country realized that The Rock is the judge and the jury, everything should be fine. And actually, hmm, well, actually, Jenny, 
after The Rock contemplated that for a second. If The Rock were the jury, The Rock feels like this. Nine times out of ten, he'd be a hung jury if you smell what I'm cooking. <laughs> uh, how would you run the White House? Tough job, tough question, but The Rock, of course, is up to answering that. The Rock feels like this. As long as all the interns in the White House beneath The Rock knew their damn role and they didn't get out of hand, step out of line, and they didn't do anything orally wrong, excuse me, Jenny, morally wrong, then The Rock wouldn't have to do what he does best, and that's lay the smack down in a major way. Thank you very much, Jenny. <laughs> well, it'll be in here. It's just not... I didn't think it was that great. It was okay, but it I was... I thought it was entertaining. All I heard was just Vince Russo speaking these lines. This was Vince... This had Vince Russo all over it. Really? Like, yes. Anytime it's the sex stuff, it's Vince Russo. See, I thought, because we're getting into the rock and all that attitude shit with him, I thought it would have. It was more rock ad-libbing. I really didn't consider it being Vince Russo pleading into it too too much. No, this looked like it was well rehearsed. Maybe multiple takes of this of these lines, but it was I guess it, it was more topical in nineteen ninety eight, so but even then I anytime they do humor WWE and WWF humor to me is very hit and miss and they miss a lot more than they hit. The stuff that I do laugh at is usually stuff that I don't know is more universally like I got a big kick out of seeing Nicholas when the tag team belts is like a 10-year-old or whatever. Yeah. That made me laugh. Yeah. But when you do like... When they do sex jokes and they do them so poorly... And and The Rock's a... I mean, The Rock has proven he knows how to do comedy and he's an actor and all this stuff. But, you know, in 1998, he's still a pro wrestler. And mm -hmm. a lot of these... they Their delivery is just not... Their timing is it's just not there. Yeah. And... So I just think you should just stay away from it. But it's Vince McMahon, who is a 12-year-old child. 70-year-old body, so. Well, okay, and they're making reference of everything going on with Bill Clinton. And young kids who listen may not know who Bill Clinton, the whole story of this. Uh, would you like to fill them in? There were always allegations of him having these affairs and stuff. It wasn't until the Monica Lewinsky stuff, because that's actually what got him impeached that actually turned into an issue in his presidency right. and so when that was all occurring all these other mistresses they then, just jumped on the bandwagon right they all said i'm gonna cash in now because whereas people didn't take me so seriously before now they know that there's probably some truth behind it and so now sure. they'll talk to me now they'll book me and now we're paying jennifer flowers to be on wrestlemania so <laughs> You just take whatever work you can get. <laughs> right. So that's that's what was going. Oh, this on. isn't your only your only view of Jennifer Flowers before the night's out. Oh no, sure. she'll be back. Then we go to the DX band, which is Jim Johnston and Chris Warren and some other people. <laughs> some other people. And they're here to play Triple H out. Hunter Hearst Helmsley. It was before he was really going as Triple H, and it was before his name was written out as Triple and then the letter H. It was just H H H, and they had experimented with calling him Try. Jr. and Sean had called him Try earlier on in this in the Canada in the Bret Hart feud. Like I think they tried to use Try as his nickname. Try. I don't like what Try said. So, really? Yeah. They. I didn't. They, know that. they gave it a try. But they went with Triple H instead. I think they made the right move. The DX band, I guess the instructions were, well, you're playing out Sean later, and he's getting the full DX entrance. You can't have that, Hunter. 
Well, Tyson gets a specialty attitude DX version. Well, he gets the X-Pac, a version of the X-Pac version of the DX song. Hunter gets screwed here and gets an instrumental version of the DX theme without the DX graphics, without the pomp and circumstance. Yeah, Yeah. the camera shooting and all that. And so, yeah, it sucked. (laughs) And here's a clip of the DX band doing an instrumental version of the DX theme. He's out with China and is the coveted. Coveted. I love them emphasizing this. Oh, the prestigious European champion. Yes, which we saw in December was valiantly fought for on Raw. Where Oh, it was a, a 60 minute Iron Man match with yeah. Sean and Triple H. And uh, Triple H, you know, going back to his old arch nemesis. The Ultimate Warrior hitting the Ultimate Warrior splash one two three, Sean just couldn't handle it. He couldn't take him, and it just oh man, it was brutal. Oh, you said sixty minutes. It was like sixty seconds, <laughs> if that. So he laid down. So they did the finger poke of doom before it was cool. Uh, totally made this belt worthless. <laughs> yeah, they shit on it. So then they gave it to Owen as uh, Hunter refused to defend it against Owen. So Goldust showed up. As Hunter, Owen beat Goldust, and then Slaughter said, well, he was dressed up as you, Hunter, so the title change counts. <laughs> as Jack Tunney would just... Oh, Tunney pulled that shit. That, too, yeah, yeah, that's Jack Tunney logic there. So then Hunter stole the belt back from him, basically, a few weeks later, assaulted and injured, and injured his leg, and got the belt back. So that's where we are today, with the Blackheart, Owen Hart, taking on... Hunter, as Owen is out to his Blackheart theme with the ambulance siren at the beginning. Of enough it. is enough. No, it wasn't enough is enough. It was... Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, Owen immediately double-legs Hunter and takes him down. Owen is making his seventh WrestleMania appearance. Yes. Wow. Already had seven WrestleManias that's in crazy. it. That's crazy. Her can to Hunter for a two-count. China tries to deck Owen, but Slaughter's weight stops her. As, yes, China was handcuffed to Slaughter as part of this match. He was going to keep her in line, Patrick. Well, she keeps interfering. Right. This is the only way. Yeah. Instead of just, I don't know, keeping her out from the ringside, maybe just keep her in the back, ban her from the building. Hand- handcuff her to a guardrail, something. Cage. Shark cage. Anything. No. Well, they did a shark cage. They did. It she, wasn't this match. She got free. She did. As she almost did here, as well. <laughs> So Slaughter, yeah, Commissioner Slaughter, who's handcuffed to this woman, didn't pay her any attention. Not a bit. Didn't live up to the stipulation at all. Like. Nope. So Owen tries the sharpshooter when they get in the ring, but Hunter rakes his eyes. Earl Hebner is in the hospital, that's right. He was having heart problems and was hospitalized. And later on in the Sean match, Sean dedicated his match to Earl. He said, this one's for you, Earl. So that's where Earl Hebner is tonight. He had bloodshot eyes and his brother took him to the hospital so that's where earl hebner was tonight you could say brett Hart was probably like yeah karma for what you did to me in november <laughs> for both brett or for both uh Sean. both of them you got Sean a broken back <laughs> and you're the refs in the hospital you got what you deserved hunter hits his shitty rick flair knee drop that completely misses owen's head Hunter recovered. Well, I, okay, first of all, Owen goes to sit up. Oh yeah, he pushes pisses, him back. This is Triple H also just shoots him back down and then just drops it. I love that. It's an awful looking knee drop. It's terrible. Owen anyway. was right to say no. That's yeah, I'm not, not good. taking that shit. But he ended up having to anyway. It I mean, was. at least Rick gets his knee sort of close to their head. 
Oh yeah, Triple H is like that far off. Yeah. Hunter recovers with a stiff DDT for a near fall to Owen. Hunter finally focuses on the bad ankle of Owen, which he had not been selling this entire time. This was a devastating ankle injury. He was in a boot like yeah, three broke weeks his ago. Ankle. Yeah. Up until this point in the match, about halfway through, was not selling this thing and at China all. And China hit him with a baseball bat just the raw before this. I mean, the Monday before this. So finally, halfway through this match, Hunter says, oh, I'm going to work on this now. And so he drops knees on it, locks in a step-over toehold. Owen got his nose cut at some point during this match. Not from the devastating knee drop, I assure <laughs> you. Hunter keeps working on the leg until Owen fires up. He crotches Hunter on the post. He nails Hunter with a missile drop kick for a near fall, a belly-to-belly for a near fall, a spinning heel kick for a near fall, then an enziguri, which a man with a bad ankle would surely do. And it hurts his ankle when he does it. So congrats, Owen. And then China tries to break free from Slaughter, but she doesn't. Owen tries a Hurricane Rana, but Hunter counters it into a powerbomb for a near fall. Owen hits a crossbody for a near fall off the turnbuckle. Then Owen counters a pedigree into the sharpshooter, but Hunter counters it by kicking Owen into the buckles, who falls down headfirst into Hunter's crotch for a near fall, so it hurt himself. Hunter tries a pedigree, it's countered into a sharpshooter again, but Hunter makes it to the ropes with an assist from China, who Slaughter watches push the ropes to this guy. Yeah. Good job, Kamesh. So the, the person that was not going to be able to interfere... Has already interfered. Has already interfered. Then China just... Casually gets out some powder. Slaughter never looks over to say, what What do you think she's yeah. doing over there? Mm-hmm. Throws it in Slaughter's face, then is able to low blow Owen, which even when you got hit with powder, you didn't just yank on the, the chain right. and say, hey, come over here, lady. You just did this. Yeah. So she low blows Owen. Hunter hits the pedigree, and congrats, Hunter. Your WrestleMania streak has... Well, never begun because you lost your first one to Warrior. But you win the match. So there you go. And keep that prestigious European belt. It is. It's very prestigious. I want to see the European title back. I don't think so. I do. Well, it is back. The UK Championship. That's almost the same. It's as close as we're going to get, right? Good job, Slaughter and Tim White. You did awful jobs in this match. (laughs) You missed blatant interference. This was awful. Tim White's great. China then chucks Slaughter over the guardrail. Tim White lets her out of the handcuffs, then she chucks Slaughter over the guardrail. So, Tim White's a heel here, I think. The DX song, when he wins, isn't played by the band. They just play the CD track, which... Really? Thankfully, yeah. They just play the the regular song, which is fine. I guess if the band, though, was waiting to play, I guess that would tip you off to who was winning the match if you were in the crowd. Makes sense. Up next, a mixed tag match with Mark Merrill and Sable taking on Luna and the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. This match could say promo package for it. That's right. For this undercard weird match that we're about to have. It recaps Merrill's jealousy of Sable and how he got Gold Dust to dress up as Sable in lingerie so he could insult him slash her. And that's pretty much it. Sable fought with Luna and that's enough for a match. Marvelous Mark Miro has been called egotistical. Perhaps Miro thought choosing Sable to escort him to ringside would make him look good. But instead of looking up to Miro, everyone kept looking past him to see Sable. Tremendous ovation for Sable. Miro's rise to mediocrity did not compare to Sable's superstardom. Miro began a campaign to demean Sable. Sable, get the hell out of here right now. All Merrow is doing is using Sable to draw attention to himself. No matter what Merrow did, the fans hated him and embraced Sable. 
Mero needed assistance, so he enlisted help from the most shameless of the WWF. Folks, this isn't about sexuality. This is a hideous attempt to get the spotlight put on you by two men that are as insecure as anybody that's ever competed in the WWF. Once Luna got involved, matters began to get out of control. Miro was jealous of Sable, but Luna was enraged. Luna's life lacked any tenderness, but Sable was successful, kind, beautiful, and loved. Luna was like a possessed demon determined to destroy the woman who had it all. I am the one that is going to take her ass day on her face and rearrange it into an Andy Warhol original. All the evils began to take their toll on Sable. She lost her gentle demeanor and fought back. Well, the bad blood is, is boiling between that woman, Sable, and Luna. You get back here, you little Oh, my. Sable has had all of this situation. She just slapped Luna. Sable has had enough of Goldust Luna and obviously Mero. Mero's strategy had snowballed into an avalanche of insanity. As indignant as Mero is with Sable, he doesn't want anybody else protecting her but him. His marriage of convenience to Goldust was quickly dissolved. And I'm sick and tired of holding Luna back, blowing myself up <laughs> night after night. Well, it's high time that Luna, you and I both get what we want. We're going to issue the challenge right now, WrestleMania, mixed tag match. Goldust, Luna, Sable, Mark Mero, if you got the guts, Put her in the ring with us. The road to WrestleMania has been a sad one for Sable. Miro continues to turn his back on her. Without Mark on her side in the mixed tag match, Goldust and Luna will destroy Sable. Sable knows her situation is serious. WrestleMania's battle of beauty and the beast will determine Sable's life, love, and future. As for some reason, Sable is teaming up with the husband that doesn't like her. Yes. To take on Goldust, who really has nothing to do with any of this. Right. Other than he was asked to do something and he did it. And Luna. Who just doesn't like Sable. Right. So two people that don't like you. One of which is your tag partner. And the other one a man who just happens to be... He's indifferent. In there for no damn reason. One of the clips shows Vince Russo picking up Sable after a beatdown. Mr. Russo was getting a little handsy with Sable. Of course, he would be the one to go scoop Sable up. <laughs> Goldust is out in cane-colored makeup. It's actually the X-rated symbol. He drew an X over his face and then wrote F and then U on... Uh... Forever Unchained. Oh, right. Excuse me. Yes, it wasn't what I thought it was. And he's in a silver suit with a nighty over it and Luna, who's in a silver onesie. A very stylish pair here. Vinny Pazinia. Some boxer named Vinny is here to see Tyson, I suppose. But since Marrow is a boxer, let's show him in the crowd. He's well, here yeah. to see all the boxers. Sable comes out with Marrow and has huge bug eyes for Luna. Mrs. Lesnar wants to start the fight with Luna, but she doesn't. Goldust gets knocked down from Marrow and immediately tags in Luna. And in this match, the rules are the you have to face a person of the same gender, so that means Sable comes in. She gives chase to Luna, who tags Goldust immediately back into the match. This is Mark Merrow's WrestleMania debut. He didn't have a match at 13 and debuted on screen at 12. So it took you two years to make it to the stage of to WrestleMania. And it took your wife to be able to get you there. I, I just wanted to throw Basically. That out there. Sable kicks Goldust in the face, and Luna doesn't want to tag in, so Mark Merrow uses some closed fist on Goldust. Mara hits a crossbody on Goldust for a two count. 
Then they smack into each other in the center of the ring, off the ropes. It was very weird. This causes them to both fall down. Both women get the hot tags, and Sable double-legs Luna immediately and tees off on her and gets a huge pop from the crowd. I mean, the crowd loves Sable. Oh, she's hot. She kicks Luna in the ribs and face and then snapmares her. She forearms Goldust and then clotheslines Luna out of the ring. Sable just cleaned house. After Sable's flurry of offense, Meryl and Goldust go back to work. Meryl low blows Goldust. Who's the face and heel in this whole thing? I don't know. Sets him up for the TKO, but Goldust counters into a DDT for a near fall. Goldust tries the curtain call on Meryl, but he gets out of it and hits a running knee lift to Goldust. Hits a springboard moonsault to a standing Dustin Runnels for a two count. Then he hurricane Rana's Goldust out of the corner. Goes to deck Luna, but Goldust accidentally knocks her off the ring by accident. Hits a TKO to Goldust, but Luna breaks up the pinfall. Sable tags in, covers Goldust, but Jimmy Corderas is distracted. And Luna accidentally splashes her teammates, so they are not working well as a team. Nope. Sable hits the Sable Bomb to Luna. One, two, three. It. Done. Right? No. No. Even though the crowd went wild for this perfect power bomb. I mean, she executed this power bomb. It was so fucking, I mean, it was the highest of highs you could get a crowd to be at. Should have been the finish. No, she kicks out at two and the crowd never came back for the end of this match. Nope. The crowd chant for Sable. She hits a TKO on Luna and wins the match. Now, if that's going to be the outcome anyway, why not end it with the powerbomb? Well, and why would she do the finishing move of the husband she's not getting along with? Right. When the powerbomb was going to become her move down the road anyway. Right. And it went on a minute longer than it should have. And it just killed what crowd reaction and and also the storyline was just very strange because at the end of the match she and marrow don't like fight she doesn't leave marrow no so that just continues yep they show us uh some matches that are upcoming the dumpster match with chainsaw charlie and cactus jack versus the new age outlaws plus rock and shamrock for the ic belt tennessee lee is in the ring who introduces double j jeff jarrett who then introduces jennifer flowers so this was double j's payday here was he walks out with Jennifer Flowers. Oh, right. He walks out with Jennifer Flowers, but all he does is ask Jennifer, ain't he great? And she says... Yes. Yes, you are. She's been with great, and he is great. So She then introduces the Intercontinental Champion Rock, who's out with the Nation of Domination. And out first, by the way, so not a good sign for the IC champ. Champ's not looking good. The story of this match has nothing to do with Ken Shamrock. It has to do with Rock and Farouk. There's some dissension in the nation as Rock chair-shotted Farouk. Yeah. By accident, of I course. think something just kind of like a gnat or something flew in his eye, though. Shamrock is out next. He runs into the ring. He clotheslines Rocky out of the ring. If Rock is DQ'd, Shamrock wins the belt. So naturally, Rock walks away to try to get the count out, which would have lost him the title. So Shamrock goes and gets him like an idiot. Shamrock just batters the Rock when they get to the ring. Rock slings Shamrock into the steps to slow him down. Rock hits the people's elbow to Shamrock for a near fall. Shamrock grabs a chair, which would get him DQ'd. The ref stops him. Rock gets him and just smatters Ken Shamrock in the head with his chair shot. Like, dude, for no reason. On the video footage they show building up to this, they show a Raw where 
Shamrock's on his knees and just takes t- and dude oh he blasts him yeah. oh man and that was the same way with this one it was one of the most disturbing chair shots both of those just ever see anyone take I mean it just cause he gives him full face like he doesn't even drop his head oh yeah on that. he gives him full face he's a tough guy he's from the UFC batter him with a chair he takes this. it right on the bridge of the nose man it's just it's brutal this brutal chair shot only gets a two count of course <laughs> Shamrock power slams Rock for a near fall, a belly to belly, and then the ankle lock, and Rock just taps out. That's it. It's over. Whoa. I was just like shocked at this. The nation come in the ring, they all get belly to bellies from Shamrock, including Mark Henry. Then Farouk comes out when Shamrock puts Rock in the ankle lock again, and Farouk, instead of saving him, just lets him suffer. He flips off the rock, but the camera misses it. His one spot of the entire night, the one thing they needed to show, they miss it. And Farouk just hops down and walks away. Rocky somehow bit his lip in all this melee, so he's bleeding from the mouth. Shamrock then flips out and starts belly to bellying all the referees. Patrick, it was not a good night for you referees. Nope. Took lots of bumps, especially here. Shamrock, even though he assaults all these referees, he won't touch Pat Patterson, who came out and scolded him. Rock is leaving on a stretcher. A great heel exit here for The Rock. Fink says Intercontinental Champion Rocky Maivia because his mic was cut off for the first half of the announcement. So we don't know why Shamrock is freaking out. So he has to redo his announcement and say, oh, the refs have reversed the decision because he didn't break the hold and Shamrock lost the match. The Rock is still the champion. Yep. Referee's conferring with our ring announcer, Howard Fink. World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, The Rock. What? What is that? Ladies and gentlemen, The Rock has reversed his decision and has disqualified Ken Shepard for refusing to break the submission hold. Therefore, he awards the decision to the man who is still World Wrestling Federation so you got an instant dusty finish here just no no explanation well the explanation was that he didn't break the hold but he did break the hold right it was after the match when he locked him back in it right it was stupid so shamrock goes and beats up the rock on the stretcher and beats him down on the dx band stage then celebrates with rock's belt but then gives it back and leaves neither guy gained anything from this match true they didn't lose anything but that's the whole thing about pro wrestling someone should win something should get something from the match and someone should not right and this is worse than like a double dq this in my opinion because it it just makes everyone look bad yeah you had rock tap out i mean you want to protect rock but he tapped out in two seconds right yeah you want to protect shamrock well he somehow got disqualified for doing i don't know what he was supposed to and then celebrating with the belt like an idiot after he didn't win it so i just thought both guys this was just a waste of time it didn't take very long but no i do agree with you it was a waste of talent and a waste of a possible good match we get a wwf attitude promo with taker sean mark marrow ken shamrock stone cold steve austin why was austin's voiceover so low here did you realize that? I don't know. He wants you to lace up his boots. Try lacing up my boots. <laughs> That's all I remember from it. Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler mentioned the box office gross. They made like over a million dollars. 
Then the dumpster gets wheeled out. It must be time for Cactus Jack and Terry Funk, who is Chainsaw Charlie. Get it straight. It's not Terry Funk. They're taking on the New Age Outlaws. Road Dog is wearing a shirt that says, Hey, look, Ma, no curse on the front, and Dog 420 on the back. <laughs> alluding to the Armstrong curse. Badass Billy Gunn, his shirt sucks. On the front, it just says, Badass, with an arrow to his face. And then on the back, it says, My ass, with an arrow to his ass. Not good airbrush t-shirts here from these two guys. They had no merch, so they no, had that they airbrush do, They're doing what they gotta do to... In his Road Dog promo... He calls out Terry Funk by name. So that forces JR to then use it. Yeah, Terry Funk, affectionately known as Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah. Oh, that's just a nickname. Who, by the way, Chainsaw Charlie, no pantyhose on the face. Terry Funk was like, fuck all that shit. I'm not wearing that shit. So he just came out with a Funk You shirt and just. Oh, yeah, he wasn't even in the red button down either. He was in his Terry Funk shit just. Oh, yeah, he didn't have his pajamas on. Yeah. So not really, uh,. Didn't care too much about this gimmick, I, I get the feeling. He just come out with the fucking chainsaw. It was Terry Funk with the chainsaw and the suspenders. <laughs> For like, that's really the only fucking difference. Chainsaw, I don't even think, was on. When he debuted, I mean, he had the whole thing of cutting out of the box. Yeah, and... yeah. No, here he just walks out. Yeah. Just the guy that found a chainsaw somewhere. Which was a spinoff of... Texas the... Chainsaw Massacre. Well, which also was a spinoff of... Okay, Leatherface in Japan, who was a part... Oh, Bam Bam Gordy. Yeah, who then went on to be a part with... Uh, or is that Corporal Kirshner? It was, was Corporal Kirshner. Oh, it was Corporal Kirshner. Was... Who then we he thought would be a good gimmick over here, so then Terry Funk stole it from over here. Well, and they had scooped Terry Funk up from ECW, who had, at, on their first pay-per-view in 97, had won the belt. Yeah. I mean, he was a big star in ECW, just... Another example of Vince just getting a guy to just bench him, basically. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to take this so you don't have it. Like, yeah. I've got really nothing for him. I just need to take him away from you. Road Dog hits Cactus with a baking sheet. Gun back body drops Funk into the dumpster. They slam the dumpster lid. Oh, vicious. A plastic lid. Ouch. Onto Foley and Funk. Gun rips the shirt off of Funk and dumps him into the dumpster. Badass Billy Gun has a bloody nose, so we have two matches in a row where someone got bloody from I don't know what. Road Dog can't st- shut the lid on Foley, so the match continues. Foley drags Road Dog into the dumpster, and then Funk whacks Gun with the baking sheet. Funk crawls out of the dumpster, hits Gun with the baking sheet again. Foley and Funk double team Road Dog with neck breakers. Foley does his running apron elbow dive to Gun with a baking sheet. Funk DDTs Road Dog on a baking sheet in the ring. Foley gets the ladder and climbs it, but Billy Gun stops him. They fight on the ladder, but Road Dog shoves. Funk into the ladder with a baking sheet shot that sends the ladder crashing over the ring ropes, and Billy Gunn and Mick Foley crash into the dumpster. The lids were closed, so they crashed through the lids into the dumpster as well. So how are you supposed to close the lid now? They're going to need to find another dumpster. Is that what it is? Okay. Gunn and Road Dog powerbomb Funk into the dumpster as well, but Foley had somehow escaped this dumpster without me noticing. And he's out on the ramp. The outlaws run him down. They walk and brawl with Foley towards the back. Then they chuck him into giant Powerade bottles, which were on a pallet for some reason. Some reason. Product placement here, I do believe. Funk then lifts it up with a forklift. So they chuck him into giant Powerade bottles. He recovers DDT's gun onto this pallet. Funk then knows how to drive a forklift and deposits the outlaws into a dumpster, lowers the forklift onto the dumpster... And we got new tag champs here. That's it. 
which get no time to celebrate. They're it's locked in. Locked in there, can't go nowhere. Yeah, Mick Foley took an idea here, and his uh, empty arena match with Rock would have a similar method of victory. Yeah. I expected more out of Terry Funk and Mick Foley here, but they didn't have enough plunder, Patrick. They only had those baking sheets, and they did the ladder spot, which was cool because this was before TLC and all the insane ladder yeah. spots, so you didn't see big ladder spots a whole yeah. lot. So that was actually a really good spot in the match, but the rest of the match was just brawling. I'll hit you with a yeah. baking sheet every now and then. Oh, now you're in the dumpster. Okay, now you're out of the dumpster. And I would have loved to have seen like a Terry Funk moonsault or, you know, some of his crazy shit. And like, right, yeah. It was like Terry Funk wrestling at like one-fourth of what he's capable of. And Mick Foley even wasn't even... Yeah, and from what we've seen in just regular throwaway matches in WCW, this guy would dive onto concrete right. on his knees for no reason. Yeah. But tonight on WrestleMania on the biggest stage, ah, you know, I'm just gonna do about I'll just leave it. Yeah, we're not gonna do too much here. We know how it ends. So up next is a very long, a long simmering storyline. We'll come to a conclusion tonight. We will never see this match again. Never. It's brother versus brother. Undertaker did not want to fight his brother Kane, who he tried to kill when he burnt down the funeral home and killed his parents. Thought he killed Kane. Didn't kill Kane. And at Bad Blood 97, wouldn't you know it, your brother that you thought was dead years ago finds you at the WWF pay-per-view, rips off the cell door, costs you the WWF title, then burns you alive at Royal Rumble, sets you on fire in a casket, kills you. But you come back, and, I mean, all this stuff, it's just, a, what a coincidence. Oh, that Raw where they're testing powers between each other. That oh, poor, they're throwing lightning? Yeah, that shit's great. Yeah, it definitely had a uh, sci-fi feel to it. Lit a fan on fire. That was awesome. But in Kane's storyline, where did he get wrestling training? I have no idea. It's just odd that this this burned man... Can't doesn't have any skin left, even though he has a whole arm hanging out of his solid white. Though I mean, it's not. He's never seen the light of day. Yeah, no. But somehow, in Paul Bearer's basement or wherever he's been living, received pro wrestling training. Was licensed by the athletic commission to go out there. So and, you think that this is the first match between these two? I would think that. Yeah, it's not. Oh, I know. You know what the first match was. They met in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, They right? did. The Unabomb versus The Undertaker. Well, and he had been around as uh, Isaac Yankum DDS, so he had been around the company. Fake Diesel. Right, yes. Glenn Jacobs, mayor of Knox County here. Amazing that he... this. I mean, what he's been able to accomplish as a burned child, as this genetic freak that couldn't even speak up until, you know, a few years after this... A year or two after this is when he finally was able to speak, Patrick, without the use of his voice box. Yeah. And now he's the mayor of Knox County, so he's really outperformed all expectations. He's 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 doing well. I mean, his speeches, I mean, he's, they're pretty good. I kind of want to see him break out the voice box for one last time, though. It'd be nice. A promo package recaps the storyline. I don't think I need to explain to you the Kane and Undertaker storyline. It's only been going on. It's still going on to this day. In 2018, these two are still linked. The Brothers of Destruction here. Bod. Bod. I don't understand this at all. Because Kane is a definite heel. 
He is a definite heel. You have to hate this guy. Yeah. Because he killed The Undertaker. Or tried to. Right. Even though The Undertaker technically... It's it's complicated. But right. But we really love The Undertaker. And Correct. And he killed him at, at January's Royal Rumble. Correct. So I'm supposed to boo this guy. But I'm in Boston and out comes Pete Rose. And he starts insulting my town and my baseball team. Okay. First of all, Pete Rose cuts the greatest promo... I think any celebrity has ever done in wrestling. Well, it was cheap Pete stuff, but... But it was still great. Cheap Pete stuff. It was still great. No, he did a great job of oh, it. Oh, yeah. But I just don't think this was the right time for this particular thing. Because this got massive cheers from the crowd. Oh, you yeah. You baby-faced came. Yeah, because they were hating Pete Rose in a matter of seconds. Yeah, so Kane stands up for the people of Boston. He's very offended by this. Picks up Pete, grabs him by the throat. So we're like, oh, Pete's going to get choke slammed. Picks up Pete Rose and tombstones poor Pete Rose on his head. So we have a face turn here right before the match. Right so now I'm the conflicted. The Druids bring out Undertaker for one of his better WrestleMania entrances here. As this was the reemergence of, well, he appeared on Raw, didn't he? And walked through the fire. So yeah. he had already come back. But this was his return to in-ring action here. Kane and Taker have a stare down. And Taker, who would, I don't want to fight you all this time. Of course, he throws the first right hand. In the well, mat. yeah, of course. He throws right arms that Kane no-sells. It's a battle of who will sell something. As Ken clotheslines Taker, he does a sit-up spot. Kane puts Taker in the tree of woe. Kane does some terrible-looking stomps to Undertaker. I mean, they're just the lightest stomps when he's in the tree Dude, of Kane woe. Kane is working really light here. Oh, yeah. You he, say throughout the entire match. He didn't want to fuck up the Undertaker. No. Well, except that time he almost did. <laughs> Almost broke his damn neck. Kane drapes Taker over the ropes and hits a springboard forearm to his back. Lots of punches from Kane and a choke. Kane is on offense here for a while. Taker eventually leaps on Kane's shoulders from a rope rebound. This was really weird. It was like Taker yeah. was almost going for a Hurricane Rana here yeah. for a minute. But Kane just drops him square on his face, so it didn't work out too well for Taker. It was awesome, though, because I haven't seen The Undertaker do this... I've never Since. seen him jump on someone's shoulders. Kane then throws Taker out of the ring, beats him with the ring steps. A fan ringside makes his number one finger into a middle finger and shoves it into the ref's face, which I thought was pretty funny. Kane drops the steps on Taker again. Bearer gets some uh, boots to Taker behind the ref's back here as Paul Bearer gets in on the action. Kane suplexes Taker back into the ring. Taker rope-a-dopes Kane in the corner, a tribute to Muhammad Ali here as he... Just takes the punishment and then asks Kane for some more. Then he fires up briefly, but Kane chokeslams him. This gets a near fall. He breaks the count himself. Should have just taken the win here. I don't know why wins and losses matter to Kane. Why he cares about his wrestling record, but... Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, he breaks the count. Kane slaps on a rear chin lock and the match comes to a screeching halt here. It's ages in this rear chin lock. Taker eats a clothesline and guess what? Kane goes back to that rear chin lock. But then we get the finishing sequence of the match. Taker finally wakes up. Big boots Kane outside of the ring where Taker hits a suicide dive but misses and hits a Spanish announce table and Tito, Hugo, and Carlos are going to be out of their table for a while here as Taker's weight alone broke this entire table. It exploded. Yeah, it was crazy. It was not just a break. Like, it exploded underneath The Undertaker. Tito is falling on top of Undertaker's arm as he just collapsed his chair right under him because, I guess, of the impact of The Undertaker. I mean, he... 
Dude, that table went to pieces fast. When they get back in the ring, Kane hits his signature top turnbuckle clothesline for a near fall. Taker throws a lot of rights that Kane no-sells, and Kane reverses a tombstone attempt into one of his own and nearly drops Taker square on his head. Oh man, this was an awesome setup, but it's hard to pull off, I guess, for two giant seven-footers. They're just too tall to do this. And, and it was it was almost really bad. But he does he, nail it safely, it, and yeah. Taker kicks out at two. A plethora of strikes from Taker, and he choke slams Kane, hits one tombstone, which Kane's head got spiked into the mat. He gave him his receipt for that first one. <laughs> Kane kicks out at two, which, oh, no one's ever done that, except like fake Undertaker, I think, has done that. Uh, leg drop, and Kane sits up. And takes tombstone number two from The Undertaker. He kicks out again. Taker hits the top turnbuckle clothesline. Then hits a third tombstone. And this does it. Gets the win for Undertaker. Bear grabs a chair. Comes into the ring. Puts the boots to Taker again. But Taker decks him. Kane then chair shots Taker in the back. Tombstones him onto the chair. And Kane and his dad leave the ring. Then Taker sits up and gets his music played. And he leaves the ring too. So he gets his glory at the end. So if you listen closely, while The Undertaker's coming out during his entrance here, JR is giving, you know, the whole backstory of Undertaker. And JR is wrong, which is hardly ever in his wrestling history and his knowledge, but he is wrong. He says that The Undertaker made his debut at WrestleMania 8 against Jake the Snake Roberts. That is wrong. It's WrestleMania 7. Against Jimmy Snuka, Snuka. Who didn't know how to take a tombstone. Oh, yeah. Had his legs real wide. It was weird. I just, I found that bizarre and felt that it was noteworthy. Now, see, this was before The Undertaker's streak became a thing. Right. And if I was booking this, I would have had Undertaker lose this match. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would have booked Kane to beat him because... Beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Beat and me- the living shit out of And have the rematch at SummerSlam. I'm gonna get my mu- I'm gonna get mileage out of it. I've already gotten mileage out of it. Well, but- hell, we're getting the Inferno match in two months. Right, but you need to put Kane over big here, and I mean... Yeah. I guess that was the point of the Pete Rose thing, maybe? I don't know, but... Oh. Like, I just kind of hate it that he got beat with cleanly. I mean, he didn't get take a tombstone on a chair or anything. It was just, that's it. Yeah. It just took three. Sorry, you're just a little bit tougher. Right. I mean. It's a great match. Uh, the middle part really dragged for me. And, really? And Kane's offense in the, like, like you said, he was working really light and he was working mainly doing strikes and stuff. I he mean, was working very slow because he didn't want to, I mean, this was a really big match for him i'm sure he was nervous for this character itself i mean he didn't want to go back to being a dentist no he didn't want to go back to smoky mountain he wanted to prove that and i mean hey if that was the mission mission accomplished because it's 2018 and he's still getting work with this company right but i would have yeah i would have just everything about this feud just made me think that kane should have won At least the opening encounter. I agree. Because you're going to have three more, I think three more encounters between them. Just in this year alone. Maybe two more. And Undertaker wins all of them. And then they're teaming together. Yeah. And then even when they had the rematch at WrestleMania 20, Taker wins again. So, I don't know. I I think that's part of why Kane is thought of as such a joke when he, it's not like, it's not the same 
thing is like if Undertaker's advertised to be on something, I mean, we should equally be marking out, oh, Kane is still wrestling in 2018. We got to go see him. Yeah. But it's like, nah, it's okay. Because they did so much damage to his character. I mean, not to mention what they did, you know, with uh, Triple H and a mannequin years later or, or taking the mask off and all that damage, but just having him just lose all the time. Yeah, right out of the gate. And even when he was champion, champion for a day. Yeah. Loses it the very next night. An Attitude Legends promo plays with Classy Freddy Blassie, Killer Kowalski, Ernie Ladd, Gorilla Monsoon, Pat Patterson. They all tell us how about they cheer for the athletes today. Back in their day, they didn't do a moonsault. I love this promo package, believe it or not. It was really awesome. It was good, but for someone like me who mainly got into wrestling around this time, it would have been nice to have some like captions with their name on it. I know that's like disrespectful or whatever to someone that's watched wrestling or knows the history of wrestling. But to me, it's like I don't I understand these are older wrestlers, but I don't know who they are. Yeah. I'd have to and that was I, was I mean the internet was around, but it wasn't like I could just type in a website and go You could type up? their name. There wasn't in. a message board that said these are the people in the promo. Right. And this was before they they didn't show a lot of that old footage. It wasn't just there was nowhere to to get that old footage easily. You'd have to go to a tape trader and say, I want to see some old shit. I can still hear the echoes cheering my name. Time has not silenced the crowd. I never did a moonsault. Or walked the top rope. There were no pyrotechnics. No fancy flashing lights. We never flew through the air. We were men of courage. Men of steel. They were men without fear. I can still hear the echoes cheering my name. But today, I cheer for them. And so, yeah, I just wish they were just little captions just so i could know who they were because i i definitely remember these airing as a kid and being like this these are really great i wish i knew who these people were yeah i mean outside of gorilla because he was he was featured um more prominently on television than the rest of them were i mean as his commissioner role or whatever president taking over for president tunney was a great thing he was great president yeah except his whole restarting of the wrestlemania 12 match well, yeah. Up next is the main event of the evening, Austin and Michaels. But the promo is all about Tyson being a part of the match and a part of DX. Really nothing about Stone Cold's journey. No, none of that matters. Not that it took 15 years for him to get here. <laughs> well, that didn't exist. He didn't exist before the WWF, Patrick. It was all from the ringmaster onward is his existence. And so none of that and none of the... I mean, they showed the melee with Tyson, but nothing about Vince. And that's all to come. That's the next big... Well, why not make that a part? Are you ready? May I present to you the enforcer, the baddest man, the baddest man, the baddest man. Oh, that's going to leave a mark for sure. Unquestionably, the baddest man on the planet.
take that from Steve Austin or anybody. That's what it's all about is respect, and indeed respect it will be. I am calling your ass out. You want to do it? Let's do it right now. You can tell me what to do. Can you be a fair, impartial enforcer? Know who you're talking to? Fair, you better give it the program, man. What's gonna happen if Stone Cold gets in your way? Champion. Do a You're a big man. <laughs> I'll treat you like you're a little man. And after WrestleMania, who will still be the baddest man on the planet? I will heartbreak. WrestleMania front team, baby. Where are you going to go after such a big event? What's next? WrestleMania 15. So I think if I was to rebook this, I wouldn't have had Tyson join DX to begin with. I would have had McMahon because the original encounter between Austin and Tyson, McMahon gets in Austin's face and says, You ruined it, damn it, you ruined it. And so... I would have, you don't know whose side Tyson is on, but he's working for McMahon. So he's really Mr. McMahon's goon out there. So he doesn't have a shirt on. He doesn't do crotch chops. He just comes out there, and you know he's working for Vince, and Vince hates Austin. So you have an inclination that he's going to work against Austin. But then when the ref takes the bump, McMahon can get up from commentary and say, go screw him or whatever, or like start shoving with him. And so Tyson punches McMahon, goes in there and does the right thing. And then it's egg on the face of McMahon. And it's not because it doesn't make any sense. I like that idea. It doesn't make any sense with Michaels. They know that Michaels isn't going to be around. So him punching Michaels, while it's a memorable moment, and we know that Sean came back four years later. Why waste it on Sean here? Well, you didn't know that Sean was coming back, so... And they didn't know that Sean was coming back. Well, yeah, I'm I'm just thinking, this is just trying to understand. Their thinking is, we want to send him out with a a great moment. And I think him and Tyson and Tyson knocking him out was was that moment. I understand where you're coming from, and I would well, and also, I would love to have had that actually, but I see their thought process. Well, and behind. also I think it takes away from Austin's moment at the end. Yeah. I mean, this was the same guy at WrestleMania 12 telling Brett to get the fuck out of the ring. This is my moment because you can only win the big one once. It's you true. can only do this once, That's true. and of course Austin has to share the stage. Right, and the big moment is actually between Michaels and Tyson at the end. And also, there's never any explanation for why Tyson sided with DX. Why at the workouts he was tied up Austin and was insulting him there. And right. that in 24 hours he had a change of heart. And also, he was introduced, he was at the Rumble up in the Skybox. And he was talking about how much he loved Cold Stone Steve Austin. He called yeah. him Cold Stone. Yeah. So you've already been tipped off that he likes this guy a long time ago. Yeah. I just didn't like any of that stuff. Like I thought it was a good idea to incorporate him, but I don't 
think the DX affiliation made any sense in the long run. Like I agree. Like I said, I'd rather have it your way, but I understand the why they went the way they went. Because apparently, leading up to this, for this the past two months, after Sean did, in fact, break his back, uh, he, he was just a difficult person. A lot more than what he normally was. Well, I mean, yeah, to, this was the guy... To this, deal with. I mean, this was the guy that backed out of facing Brett at 13. So this was a guy that... He didn't want to put Austin over here tonight at all. Anyway, I bet Vince must have paid him a fortune to work this match. Well, he I didn't don't... show up for the pay-per-view before that, remember? Yeah, he didn't do to... no way... At te- yeah. He didn't do no way out of Texas, yeah. where Savio Vega replaced him. But for this match... I'm sure it was important to Vince for this match to occur, and I bet he paid him a ton of money yeah. without without him, without Sean holding him up for it, because Sean could have held him up like Warrior or yeah. any of these guys, yeah. Jarrett in the past, that have done it. So he could have clear, he could have easily just said, "No, I'm not doing that. Fuck you. Like, right. I'll I'll do it for two million dollars or whatever." Right. Which I think he, but I do believe he learned his lesson as it pertains to. The shit that went down with Brett that, hey, you better don't, don't, if the boss tells you to do it, do it. Yeah, but I think he, I think he was well compensated or else he would Oh, I agree. I agree tremendously. But uh, the promo package, anyway, I, at the, at the time I remember, I always felt like that rivalry wasn't even that classic. Like they, no. I mean, Michaels was off TV because he was hurt. And when he was on TV, he didn't do matches and he would just hit a super kick out of nowhere or whatever, but it wasn't a personal feud. It, it didn't right. feel personal like a Brett and Sean or a Brett and Austin or even a Kane Undertaker. It didn't feel like that kind of yeah. rivalry. The real rivalry was between Austin getting the belt from from McMahon, basically, who didn't want him as champion, who hated him. Right. And so that was the actual feud. It was Michaels is just a proxy of... Vince, which, by the way, why would the degenerate do the boss's bidding? That doesn't make a lot of sense either. Oh, we break all the rules. We're in your face. Oh, the boss wants me to go out there and beat up Austin? Okay. Yeah. So, there's some problems I have with the whole thing. Tyson is out to a version of the X-Pac DX theme. It was the rap version of the DX theme, but it was... It had more lyrics than the X-Pac version. It wasn't just... I would love to find the Tyson version, because I couldn't really fully understand it with the mumbling. I thought it was dubbed in at first, because the audio was really weird. Like, the crowd was almost drowned out. Like, right. Tyson didn't get a big pop here if this was not altered in some way. Like, right. It was weird. Might have been dubbed in. No, I looked, uh, I looked up other reviews to see if they mentioned the music, and they said, yeah, he came out to that theme, so... Really? I... It just seemed weird. He gets in the ring, and he doesn't know which way the hard camera is. So, of course, he turns his back, and we don't have a camera to get this guy we paid all this money for. As he does crotch chops, he faces the wrong way, and he does the weirdest crotch chop you'd ever seen. As he, like, crosses his whole arms. And he does it way up here, and he just mean mugs the camera. I'm glad they didn't let him talk in his little Mickey Mouse voice. He likes pigeons. Boxer Marvin Hagler is there to see Tyson. Austin gets the Goldberg treatment as we see him walking to Gorilla and then to the ring from the backstage area. And the place goes nuts for Austin. Oh my god. Hits. LOD 2000 pop was loud. 
this damn place. This was almost Sable powerbombing Luna Vachon earlier in the yeah, night. Yeah, this, I mean, the building was rumbling. cheers it was he was literally this was the moment in time to to do it because he was that red hot and that the fire the the fire beneath him with the crowd behind him was was as hot as it could get austin gets in tyson's face before michaels comes out which makes no sense by the way as yeah the match would go sean gets the same backstage walk entrance as well still chewing that bubble gum fucking sean he says this is for you earl i'm wearing my good luck charm and he had his little necklace on i don't know what that all meant but mm. i knew it was... this is for you earl i guess was just because he likes earl he gave him the belt at some, uh, survivor series they're a team the dx band play in quotation marks sean out as this song is much better on an album than it is in real life you didn't enjoy it oh they they fucked up the song. They just trashed the song. In theory, this seemed like a great idea. Like, oh, get the band here. But, man, it was rough. Sean even goes on stage to mug with Chris Warren and the DX band while his entrance is playing. So, Sean must have been on something if he thought this was a good performance of the DX theme song. Sean, it has been noted that going into this, this match, that Sean was so high, he doesn't remember... He remembers the match, but he doesn't remember how he got in the ring and how he left the ring. And so it, it is noted, yes, that he was on a lot of painkillers and a lot of extracurricular drugs as oh, well. Oh, yeah, because he was huge. He was massive. And so for, for Sean. So for it really is, he's made very many notes stating that he feels bad, that he wishes he could have put on a better match for, for Austin's sake. This is the final WrestleMania of the Winged Eagle Belt. This is. It's been gone 20 years. The Globe will return or make its debut tomorrow night on Raw. Massive chance for Austin as the match starts. Austin flips Michaels off to start the match. Michaels runs away from Austin to start, but eventually eats a clothesline. He pulls Michaels' tights to keep him in the ring, exposing Sean's ass, a spot that Sean loves to do loves getting that ass him and flair him and flair and triple h (laughs) that's true triple h he back body drops sean to triple h outside the ring and i just thought man this is so stupid to take with a bad back this is how you got injured to begin with yeah and you're doing it again into triple h on the outside of the ring hunter then assaults austin ding ding dq i guess it's over but mike kyota lets it go but gets in hunter's face and says Hunter and China, you're out of here. And they get tossed. Now it's just Austin and Michaels and Tyson. So it's the it's a three-way. Austin goes and beats up Hunter as he's leaving, which is stupid. And Michaels, while he's doing this, just drinks some water. He's like, well, I'm thirsty. I'll just drink some water here. 
Michael's in Assaults Austin with the symbol from the DX band. Ding, 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 DQ. No, just kidding. Kyoto lets us go as well. Which, if you're going to do all this shit, like I've said before, just say it's an ODQ match going into it. That's all you got to do. Yeah. One thing. Yeah. Or as they're walking out, like they did at WrestleMania 17, when he sa- they just said, oh, this match has been changed to an ODQ. Yeah. They just wedged it in. Okay, that's all you got to do. Yeah. Instead, Mike Kyoto looks like an idiot. Michaels flings Austin into the dumpster that the New Age Outlaws had left out there. They walk and brawl back to the ring. Austin counters Michael off the top rope with a punch to the gut. Michaels gets flung into the buckles and does his back first into the buckles spot, which I thought was stupid as well for a guy with a bad back who's waddling around the ring tonight. Austin hits a variation of the stun gun for a near fall. Tries the stunner, but Michaels shoves out of it. Michaels gets shoved off the apron into the desk. Austin drops some elbows to Michael's neck and puts a chin lock on. Michael's uses a jawbreaker to escape. Michael's wants to do the turnbuckle figure four on Austin, but Austin counters it and they brawl near the timekeeper area where Austin gets back body dropped into the crowd. And then Michael's just hits him with the bell. Ding, 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 DQ. No, just kidding. That's fine. They get back into the ring. Michael's is clearly in a lot of pain. At one point he yells fuck as he snapmares Austin because he's hurting so bad. He flips off the fans. Austin hits Thesprez and punches. Michaels then smacks Austin's leg off the post. Austin gets his leg worked over and then bails outside, but gets hit with a baseball slide from Sean. Sean chop blocks Austin, goes for a figure four with help from the ropes, but Austin eventually makes his way to the ropes to get freed. Michaels tries a sleeper and Kyoto takes a ref bump as Austin backs Michaels into the corner to escape. Austin stomps a mud hole and Michaels in the corner. Michaels stops the assault with a running forearm. Michaels and Austin are both out. Michaels kips up, and the camera fucking misses it. The last kip up ever in the in the story of Shawn Michaels' career. We yeah. fucking miss it. So more bad camera work here. Michaels hits his elbow drop from the turnbuckle, which was not his best elbow drop. He tunes up the band. Austin ducks. Michaels shoves him away from a stunner attempt, but Austin rebounds off the rope, catches a super kick, spins him around, stunner. Then Tyson hops in the ring, fast counts. Michaels, one, two, three, and Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold is the champion. Getting that ready. He's put everybody down with Sweet Chin Music. And he has put Austin down before as well, as we know. Austin back up somehow. Uh-oh. Austin ducked it. Austin going for the stunner, and Michaels countered. Michaels going for another kick. Austin, he got it. The stunner. Austin celebrates with the belt. Tyson gets a new Austin 316 shirt to replace that dirty DX shirt he had on. No get the fuck out of the ring, this is my moment, as Michaels gets in Tyson's face and gets dropped with a right hand. Confetti drops, but Austin doesn't stay out for the confetti. Ham and Tyson just walk off, and then we get the WrestleMania montage, and we are done. I love, 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 deep down, have said it over and over again. The finishing sequence of this match. Sean's tuning up the band. He's going for the super kick. Austin catches it. Austin kicks him in the gut. Goes for the stunner. 
Sean sheets him off, goes for the rebound super kick. Austin catches it for a second time, spins him around, and hits the stunner. And literally, that place went absolutely crazy. I loved it. was fast pace. It was just finisher block, finisher block, finisher block. Then finally, after blocking it for the third time, Austin hits the fourth one. And it, it was it was like, who's going to hit their finisher to win? Like, it really put the emphasis on how Yeah, this was before the days where it took 15 finishers to right, get a win. Right, it was. It put the emphasis on how well the super kick and the stunner truly was. Well, these, these are knockout moves. Yeah. You're not getting back up from no. them. But yet it takes three tombstones to drop Kane. Uh, no. But, yeah, of course. A much more devastating finisher, by the way. Like, But no, I just, I literally love the closing sequence of this match. And it's it's a place in history. I mean, it is just that, that well. That closing sequence with Tyson sliding in and JR calling the count. One, two, three. And then JR announcing Austin. The Austin era has begun. That's, I mean, he's well, giving me chill bumps now. He had to put his huge, guy over. This was a guy that he was instrumental in get, getting. That's true. A guy he was instrumental in getting hired. This was his WCW companion back in right. the day. Uh, best friend. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, JR did a great job selling the win. Like I said, I just wish that Austin had got more of the moment after the bell. Right. Because after his initial celebration with the belt, it's all oh, it's back to Michaels. Right. Know? And also, no no beer party. You know, none of the, like, I would have loved to have seen him crack a beer with Mike Tyson right there, but... That would have been awesome, yeah. They kind of overdid that a little bit later into Austin's career, and then even after it was over, that's what he would come back and do, but... Just wish that there was some storyline explanation to why Tyson turned. And the next night on Raw, Hunter just said, oh, I had some reservations about... Sean, I tried to tell him, but that's all the explanation we really got is yeah. Hunter didn't trust Tyson. That was it. I understand that they don't need... I, I don't need a lot. I don't need a lot. Just something. It would have been nice if maybe Michaels had accidentally hit him in the match or something yeah. to instigate the change. Right. Like, Tyson did get in Hunter's face, I think, briefly, but not enough to make you totally screw the guy you're wearing the t-shirt you were just doing the crotch chop yeah i totally... I love the finishing sequence of the match it wasn't a great sean michaels match no um, and and sean like i said well, for sean's, good reason but... sean's made very noteworthy uh interviews about how zoned out he truly was due to the pain of his back and the rehabilitation medication that he was taking in the process of it well, and he uh, was very others, limited anyway. Upon others, and so uh, he just wishes that he. I mean, he said it. He wishes he could have gave. Well, it was a stupid for match. him to do it. I'm sure it was for a lot of money, but it was a stupid thing to do because he could have ended up like Dynamite Kid and in a wheelchair, very easily here. True. These aren't. He thought his career was over. He suffered a career-ending injury and yet still wanted to do this match. So it could have been very bad. Could have ended very, very badly for Shawn Michaels. So Rehab. No, he came back and had a great run, a and great second a... run. If he didn't have that 2002 run that he had until he retired, I don't, I wouldn't consider him as... The greatest? The GOAT, yeah. Like, as far as in-ring performer. I mean, he had a very 
good resume, but I think it was really those performances when he came back where it was like, wow, he didn't yeah. lose a step at all. Like, he, yeah. Four years out, and he, he steps right back in the ring, and it's classic Sean all over again. Yeah, and uh, had a lot of great matches yeah. after that. The rest of this card, though, who this was a this was something. It's an awesome card. It was easy to sit through, but it Shamrock and Rock could have been cut. Uh, the the tag team battle royal. I would have rather just had the LOD return in a re- normal tag match. If you're just, I know it was to get everyone a payday, but. The dumpster match was really disappointing for, I thought, when this match was advertised, and I mean, they already did the big spot on Raw, and they didn't have a big stage to work on here, so they couldn't duplicate it, but when this match was advertised, I thought, this is going to be super violent, this is going to be Hell in a Cell, right? but it was not Hell in a Cell, it was a walk in the park, it was a walk in the dump for... Man, people. I'd I'd be worried about taking those falls into that dumpster though as many times as they did. You saw packing peanuts and shit flying up to try to help somewhat, but even then, man. The latter spot was probably the most dangerous one that they did. Well, and as they're falling in, Foley cracks his ankle on the edge there as he's falling into the He did take some abuse in this match. Like he did dive off the apron one time and like tumble into the dumpster as like billy gunn was trying to drop kick him yeah uh but not the same amount of abuse that we would not we not what we normally would see yeah so wrestlemania 14 episode 100 where do you rate wrestlemania 14 on the scale of hornswoggle to giant gonzalez it's wrestlemania 14 wrestlemania is known for the streak i'm gonna give it an undertaker wow you're really high on this show i am i am going to give this show a ken shamrock because it had some... It was intense at, right. at times. But most of the time it was just sort of... Nah, it's okay. That was Ken Shamrock. He was intense sometimes. And most of the time he's just like, nah. So, so be it, right? Yeah, so it's my pick this week. And it is. I'm going to do what you were going to do last week. And I'm just going to pick Hogwild 96. Because that's where we had left off. And so yeah, awesome. WCW was heading to Sturgis in the summer of 96 and they were the nwo was invading and hogan somehow had a title shot it's amazing this guy that isn't working for our company anymore gets a title shot right the invading forces somehow won a title shot and all this right so we're gonna do that and uh it was a pay-per-view that took place on a saturday which i think all pay-per-views should be on fridays and saturdays i don't know why we do sundays i agree with that actually because it frees up for people that work to stay up late and actually watch it yeah and uh they did saturday night they're live from sturgis i wish that that was on the network it's not so oh, i guess yeah because they, they only, they only have like to... 93 and 92 yeah there. that's where we'll go we'll see the son of andre and storyline take on hulk hogan hollywood see if he can harness the power of harley davidson's and use that against Paul White to win the world title. This is it. The end of the 100th episode. That's it, yeah. This is the end of the 100th episode. Anything special? Anything planned? Anything you got memorable that you can think of that we have done yet? Yeah, maybe I'll I'll put it in here. Okay. Maybe I'll do a little something. Okay. Probably not. A little something special. Well, I mean, what's a memorable moment thus far in this? Oh, I like that time we talked about wrestling. 
Really? Yeah, that was a good time. I love that time. That's yeah. great, isn't it? Yeah, that it's was brilliant. It really stood out. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah, that we would have made a hundred episodes not talking about anything at all, just not a damn thing, and have many listeners listening to us in the process. Sometimes, yeah. So yeah. sometimes not so much. But, uh, like the chaperone, no one really liked my chaperone review, but that's okay. No one. I didn't chaperone. even make it through the chaperone. Yeah. So that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying as always, here's to one more episodes to go. One more. Well, no. A hundred more. Here's to a hundred more episodes. Wow. So I hope I can make it through another hundred. We can. My closing line's a clothesline. And bingo bango. All right. And welcome to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, your number one source for retro wrestling. I am intern Alex, as you know, accompanied as always by Patrick Young. Absolutely. The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history. If you don't know me, you should. My name is Patrick Young. What the goal of this podcast is, is to basically just highlight old wrestling shows. Uh, there's, there's really nothing else to uh, say about it. We'll touch on some modern wrestling and we'll talk about just stuff from our personal life, but we'll just put our spin on it. This is when I was a freshman in high school, so oh, Limp Biscuit well. was that was my jam. You see the Spanish announce table get broke again. I don't know if he had been drinking a ton of water, but his face was blood. This is gruesome. Covered. This was gruesome. Like we saw at X7, this man is a great player. Yeah. This guy. I mean, this was like squirting out. This is a out. horror match. This is like squirting out blood. This is, yeah. He's going to smoke lock nests like bacon on a griddle. If that is not a fat joke, I don't know what is. I would have lost my mind if I had bought this pay-per-view and had seen this finish. I would have been so angry. I would have been stomping around the house. Forget ordering WrestleMania next month. Fuck that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not watching Big Show main event WrestleMania. No way. There was four Freebirds. Why the hell isn't there four Freebirds <laughs> in the Hall of Fame game? Well, he mentions he's out in Hollywood and that, you know, Santa and Muscles will be out on VHS pretty soon. And three ninjas. Vince takes a big whiff of the air and makes his Vince McMahon face and he says, Stephanie, do you smell what I smell? And the camera gets real tight on Vince's face and he's, he says... Ah, it's the baby took the baby took a trump. <laughs> and there you go. Ha ha ha! I've got to be the the number one guy. Survey says number one for the good guy. I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> this, this never happens. I am shocked and appalled. I'm glad you're in agreement with me because the consensus that I see online a lot of the times is that people love this match. This shit. I see him standing up every week. That's good enough for me. I was waiting for that. That is Shane McMahon's skull hitting concrete. It hit fucking concrete. This was awesome. This was torture. Now, Oinkette number two was a little excited to be there because she had very erect nipples, and it was very distracting. Right. This is why I always wear a jacket, because if for some reason my nipples get erect, I don't want people to see it. <laughs> this is a real concern. I don't know. Sometimes it's not even... Like I said, sometimes you can't control it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he lactated. What? They had a guy that lactated? I mean, it wasn't as given, but like he was just... The big muscle oh, guy okay. with 
the weird pepperoni nipples. He saves the day by climbing the cage and putting the fire out by giving the green mist. <laughs> he wastes his mist spot to save the world here. Yeah. His first word. Yes. As a man. His first. Fuck they got all that they can handle right here. I, I got very bored with this match very quickly. 